Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Welcome to Rational in Portland. The journalist Nancy Rommelman was here for about a week. She only recently just left. And if you don't know who she is, please listen to her episode on this podcast. She was kind enough when this podcast was absolutely nothing to come on. And that was February 28th, 2022. So it's a pretty early one. And it's called Nancy Rommelman Comes on the Show, so it's an easy one to find. Also, please read the article that I helped her with called A Murder in Portland about Rachel Abraham, a mother of six who was murdered here in Portland, allegedly by her boyfriend, who'd been circulating in and out of the court system for alleged abuse of Rachel with no bail, then with bail, but was bailed out by Portland Freedom Fund, which, according to OPB on September 8th, 2022, said that despite Rachel's murder, they're going to continue to help BIPOC people post-bail. I understand why they would want to help, say, a black person who was overcharged with crimes or who they believe didn't do the alleged crime or who they believe is being unjustly detained because they are black. However, I have no reason to believe that was the case in the incarceration of Mohammed Adan, Rachel Abraham's boyfriend. Additionally, I believe Portland Freedom Fund is missing a big piece of this puzzle, which is Rachel Abraham, Adan's alleged victim and girlfriend, who was also black. According to the ACLU, of all people, on January 28, 2019, black women are hyper-vulnerable to abuse. Black women are killed at a higher rate than any group of women. Black women have been historically dehumanized. According to NBC Universal affiliate WBIR.com on October 19th, 2022, the Institute of Women's Policy Research shows that around 31% of all women will experience domestic violence. And for black women, that statistic is more than 40%. Portland Freedom Fund and OPB's lack of interest in Rachel Abraham and the disproportionate violence inflicted on black women is incredibly troubling to me as it was to Nancy. I became friends with Nancy because a very kind listener reached out very early on in the podcast and asked me to have her on. I did, and she immediately said yes. She answered every question I had. She was very generous with her time. We stayed in touch, and when she comes to Portland, we get together, and she's been a very good friend to me and a good friend of this podcast. When I went on Kennedy's TV show on Fox Business, Nancy promoted it on Twitter and reached out um, letting me know that she was friends with Kennedy and asking me if I needed any assistance or had any questions. She was, so Nancy was here for about a week reporting. She embedded with Kevin Dahlgren. If you haven't heard that episode on this podcast, please listen to that. That's about the homeless industrial complex, and that's with Kevin Dahlgren and Andrea Suarez. Andrea was with We Heart Seattle, still is, Kevin was with We Heart Seattle for a while. He is now independent and on his own. And Nancy embedded with Kevin 
they did some video that got a lot of traction on Twitter and she interviewed all sorts of people. She interviewed Aaron Schmatz, who's also been on this podcast. That is a long one, totally worth listening to. Um, and it's funny, I, I'm not sure how either of them got a word in edgewise when they got together, but I told her to like block out a day when she went to go talk to him. And she did do a piece on that. She has a substack called Make More Pie. And she has an entire article devoted to her sit down with Aaron. And she does kind of a Q&A. It's very abbreviated based on the time that she was with him. But she does a Q&A with him. She spoke, uh, did a speaking event and at a venue here in Portland. And in regard to that event, she was thinking of about, you know, maybe we have a journalist, ask her questions or moderate that. And... She reached out to two journalists, one from a weekly and one from the biggest paper here in Oregon, and they both said no. Um, I actually reached out to the weekly reporter on her behalf, and he said no. He felt like she was too radioactive and that she did, he didn't care for her journalism. He was upset about the Me Neither videos that she did with Leah McSweeney, who as some of you may or may not know, is now on The Real Housewives of New York, which is kind of funny. Um, but if anybody watched those Me Neither videos, and I was really into that Me Too movement, um, if anybody watched those, I think they're scrubbed from YouTube now, but I think you would find them, or ha would have found them, very anodyne. It was stuff like, Aziz Ansari is probably not Harvey Weinstein. I explained all that to this journalist, and he didn't seem to care that the other journalist Nancy reached out to personally and he said no uh, part of what that tells me is that there is some kind of cultural media capture here in Oregon maybe not in regard to the weekly journalist that I reached out to that might have been very well was probably a more personal thing on his part but in regard to the larger newspaper it it's concerning to me that this person was not was actually interested in moderating this and was not able to, especially since I think it was on his own time. I wonder if he'd signed a contract or something when he started doing this journalism. I, I just found that concerning. Um, what Nancy told me ultimately when she left is that she's coming back. She has more reporting to do. When she came, she seemed very optimistic. I love her because she's an ever-optimist, but this is the first time I've seen her less than optimistic about Portland. She told me she believes there is rot in this city that is still here. And because she's an eternal optimist, that was alarming to me. But this episode is not all depressing because my friend Don, Donald is his full name, but Don Courtney, who is also a lawyer, is my guest today. And this is another neighborhood spotlight episode on Lentz again, which is constantly forgotten. So I want to make sure to really highlight it on this podcast. And if you haven't heard the episodes about Lentz previously, please go back and listen to them. So you have some understanding about what people in Lentz are going through. That would be the Todd Littlefield and Juanita Swartwood episode. And it would also be the LNLA, Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association episode with Char and Dave, Sharpenny and Dave. Those episodes are great because they really illustrate the terrible things that people in Lentz are going through. And sadly, my friend Don is moving. He is moving to India. He's He is 
half Indian and his mother uh, has lived there and he has lived there and feels comfortable there and that's where he's going. So I'm upset because I'm going to lose a really good friend and somebody that I think is a shining light in Portland and certainly within the Lens neighborhood. And he helped the Lens neighborhood quite a bit. He wrote a letter to Dan Ryan about the safe rest villages. He was livid because there was going to be one placed in Lentz. And Lentz had, as you've heard from those other episodes, if you've listened to them, the Juanita Swartwood and Todd Littlefield and the LNLA episodes, they have been through hell and back and are still in hell. They're actually not back from hell. They're still deep within hell and they don't need any more of it. And Don lays out all the reasons that I think very well. And he, he we read the letter aloud in the episode, so I'll save that until later. But Don was a wonderful advocate for the Lentz neighborhood, homeowner in Lentz. And I think he really saw himself as a long-term attorney in Portlander and attorney here. And I, I'm sad that he's leaving. Um, he, my friend Andrew was going to be very upset about this episode because it's lengthy. And he doesn't like my lengthy podcast episodes, although he loves the podcast. So I am so sorry, Andrew. This is another one of those long-form podcasts. And for you, those of you who love the long-form podcasts, you're going to love this one because Don, Don is one of those people that I could just t- really talk to forever. Um, we talked before he came on the podcast when he was in India gathering some things in order to get ready to live there. And we did all the mental machinations to talk on the phone while he was in India and we talked for hours. And then when he came back, we connected and he came on the podcast very graciously. But of course, before then we went to coffee and talked for hours. And even after the podcast, it was like, when can we see each other again? Um, So I am so sad that he is leaving and we're losing yet another great Portlander. I don't want to lose any more good Portlanders. That's part of why I'm so committed to turning the city around. And I know that all of you who are listening probably are too. And thank you for that. And thank you for all of your efforts. Please enjoy my conversation with Dawn Courtney from the Lentz neighborhood. I have Donnell Courtney in the studio, otherwise known as Dawn for us Americans who have such trouble pronouncing names and us Portlanders who have so much trouble paying attention to detail, but uh, when it comes to pronouns or ethnicity, we're right on it. So Don, uh, as he introduced himself to me, is from Lentz, actually, and he has fled Lentz to Goa, India. Right, Don? Yep. That's right. Uh, About last year, I got... got just tired of it, to be honest. I used to love Lentz. I still do, but it just, um, there's so much crime now. So it just. Well, let's talk about that because I, I learned about you. It's so funny. So you're a lawyer. Yeah. And you're still practicing and you do civil work just like I do. Right, yeah. civil, civil yeah, legal yeah. work. You don't you don't do any criminal. No, do you? never done it. And the reason I learned about you, it's so funny. I I hadn't met you before. In fact, we only just met a couple days ago, and uh, this will tell everybody how um, 
in, how interesting you you really are. I think this is a good insight into that. We just met a couple of days ago and we spent like four or five hours together and we weren't finished talking. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> we went for a coffee date and then one hour turned into two turned in. And then I finally had to leave to go pick my kids up for, from school or otherwise I might've just, um, ordered a blanket from Amazon, had it <laughs> dropped off and stayed there. I don't know. Well, yeah, you kind of get on the on the same wavelength, I guess, and it's fun to resonate a little bit, uh, particularly when, uh, I don't know, you might think of this differently, but um, I feel like we both have a, what I think of as a bit of an outsider perspective, at least if you're considering Portland inside of the 205 freeway. Um, T- say more about that. Uh, say more about that. I tend to look at um, Portland where there is a big division there. Um, uh, and so for me, uh, when I think of where I belong in the metro area, it kind of is more on the outskirts. Uh, uh, and then when I think of like sort of alien territory, I think of like um, particular, well, inside of the 205, but particularly as you come into um, uh come in and get into Foster Powell and then into like the Sunnyside and, and Buckman neighborhoods and like um, Mississippi and Alberta areas. To me, that I always tell my um, my uh, assistant who I hang out with a lot, uh, that's like enemy territory. And I don't, I don't mean that in a mm, like truly enemy, but for example, if you look at voting patterns in, in the city, there's a pretty big difference when you cross the 205. Uh, and if you want me to get more specific. Yeah, about I do. That, Cause yeah. I think a lot of our listeners, the, the most that they're familiar with in regard to that would be the Oregonians analysis of the voting patterns for Renee Gonzalez versus Joanne Hardesty. But aside from that there, I don't think there's a lot on our radar about that. Well, yeah. I mean, and that one in particular, I mean, maybe they already know it. So I'm stating the obvious, but I mean, you, if you look at um, that, particular uh, uh, poll, I mean, uh, Joanne Hardesty has 6% support in that poll east of the 205, and it jumps up to, I think, 26 um, for the rest of the city, which is a huge difference. Um, And then if you also look at uh, uh, the other big one that comes to mind on that is um, uh, Sarah Iannarone and Ted Wheeler, whenever that was. Um, that election result uh, was was uh, Sarah Iannarone only won in like Buckman and uh, the Mississippi area. She that those, those southeast. Were the, those were yeah, and those were the only precincts that where she got a majority. And then, yeah, that was twenty twenty. And then the east of the city, she she had very very little support and. Uh, also, if you look in the primary for Renee Gonzalez and, and Joanne Hardesty, again, you see that Joanne Hardesty, the precincts where she where she won, um, were in inner east Portland, right? Uh, right over the river. And when I, f- from a qualitative perspective, like w- the way I see it as a longtime Portlander um, is like when... In Lentz, I kind of just feel like my neighbors were, I still own that house, uh, so my neighbors 
are. You still own the lens house? Yeah, I rented it out. Okay. Um, and uh, I feel like the neighbors on my little, it's like a little cul-de-sac who I, we all know each other. I mean, in that way, it's very Portland. Um, we all know each other or would hang out with each other. Most of them are uh, pretty, are, are um, couples or, or families, but they're they're relatively moderate politically. And, uh, and they're, they're more inclined to be on a budget when it comes to going out to eat. Uh, it's not like they don't make money. I mean, a lot of them, I mean, that's a stereotype that I think is just not true about Lentz or, or, or East Portland. Many, I mean, yes, you well, have, you're a professional and you live, yeah, you lived there. Exactly. And I know other lawyers that live there too, because to be honest, it's a, it's a nice, it's kind of a nice neighborhood. There's a lot of what people might like about Portland there, like at the a sense of community and lots of new things opening up and, um, plenty of parks there used to be a lot of parks but now you could use but you can't really use them now a lot of them like the beautiful stuff they've done on the um on the foster floodplain on the johnson creek floodplain uh they restored so many areas of that uh and we had the use of it for a few years a couple two three years before it started you know charlie hills just allowed people to start camping all through there 2016 yeah and now it's just not safe to go there uh i've been mugged um on the spring water i used to walk there i mean i like riding bikes but you know i do prefer walking and so i used to walk all through there like on the spring water and stuff and then you know one time this uh couple was walking on there and uh attacked me or whatever and I had to run and then since then I just stopped going down there so are you comfortable giving us more detail about the the crime well I mean you know I call it mugged I don't know what it was really I mean they somebody just started running up to try to hurt me or whatever and I just busted out and ran and the thing is is when you're on that path it's like it's like you don't you don't have anywhere really you can't go to either side so you've got to you've, you're limited it's filled in where with you can weeds go. well it, it, yeah it's interesting fence. i mean there's, there's a fence. fence yeah depending on where you are on the spring water there are weeds uh overgrown bushes and there are dips in the ground level yeah. right so like all of a sudden I, I mean if you're running away off of the concrete where the Springwater Trail goes for biking and, and walking, et cetera, then all of a sudden you might find yourself like in a ditch. I, yeah. I mean, it's very, it can be very steep depending on where you are in the trail. Yeah. And then, and then you'll find yourself up against a fence. So like, that's right. Uh, you know, and you just have to, it, it can be, it, it is one of those places where uh, as a person like alone, you can feel very vulnerable if there are more than one people who are are there and they're not being nice to you uh, because you're kind of hemmed in and there's no one around. Uh, it gets really sketchy there. And, um, and it just is pure sketch, to be honest, right now. And so what happened is, is like, you know, my neighbors... How did they attack? What did they do? Did they jump on you? How did well, they attack they ju- you? Yeah, they came up to like they were going to jump, but I saw it was it a man coming, and a woman, a man and a woman. And then the man did that. And then I was like, he was like acting like he kind of had like some kind of gun or something. And I was like, I was just like, 
I'm out of here. So I call it mugged. You I mean know. acting like he had a gun, like like going into it, a jacket like, or like had, his pants. Yeah, his pants. And so um, I was just and I like literally had done nothing. Did they ask for your wallet when no, you say mugged? I, mean, I, I think of like yeah. And so maybe it's not mugged, but to me it well, seems certainly like attacked. Mugged. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I guess mugged. Physically I'm using attacked. The wrong word. I was attacked, and. It, what do you think they wanted? What was that about? Is Was that just some PDP you know, meth episode? To me, honestly, I don't know what some of these people want because that seemed like they just wanted to attack me. It reminds me of the Keffer White episode um, right near here. Actually, we could walk there um, by PSU where Keffer White attacked to 80 somethings yeah um beat one of them within an inch of his life he was in the icu he probably still is and the other one died yeah and, and it was at completely random out of nowhere yeah and i mean and and it's like the same that similar vibe like where it was like it just felt it just feels like and it's that's not the only time that i that that has happened that's happened to me one other time in lens park too where somebody just kind of attacked me i mean it's not like they got to me because i'm just pretty aware of it, it. happened so in ran. the park on the edge of the park yeah there's a guy who was uh just hanging out at his vehicle or whatever and i'm walking by i think it was going to walmart and uh because i walk everywhere like even though i mean i drive if i have to but um and yeah i was just going to walmart and that's another time it's actually the things like that have happened to me like three times actually, but, uh, in Lentz, uh, yeah, I'm just walking down the, the side of the park and then he just like jumps me and he like physically jumps well, on top jumped, of you. No. Well, because I'm get out of the way, you know, I run. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, cause I'm like, I don't need to, well, you see this him person. coming. Yeah, yeah. So you're walking by what happens is you're like walking by and maybe you're, you're a few feet away and like a normal person, you just walk right by them. But then these people just come at you like really fast, fast. They come at you and you don't know what they're going to do, but they're wanting to make contact with you. So, so me being like, uh, you know, somewhat vigilant, I'm like, okay, I'm out of here, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to wait to find out. Uh, did you develop this when you say somewhat vigilant, did you, do you feel like you developed this vigilance? post 2016 yeah because uh i definitely do because okay so like you know um you think like new york or whatever but like that this sort of stuff would happen and you know um and it never occurred to me that this would have happened in portland and it did used to happen like i know that um like, Are you uh, talking about attacks and muggings and attacks things? Attacks and muggings, yeah. yeah. In the 80s yeah. were very gritty. And my yeah. my cousins worked at uh, Myron Frank uh, downtown, and which was a thing. Nobody remembers that department store, but that was like... Really? Our, yeah, that was, like, that? that was our big department store, yeah. right? Myron Frank. And they were mugged, and it wasn't... No one was surprised. So, in the, yeah, in the 80s. And we didn't... I grew up near well, I mean within city limits but we didn't ever go downtown I mean we didn't even go to I take my kids to the art I mean part of it is I work downtown my parents didn't work downtown but I take my kids to the art museum all the time they come here with me to the office I mean my my children are downtown a lot 
Uh, part of it probably also is I live much closer to, to downtown than I than where I grew up. But we didn't. My childhood was not spent downtown ever at all. There are two times I remember going downtown. Once was when. So these two cousins I'm talking about, they're sisters, and I'm still very close to one of them and grew up with them, basically. They're, they're about 16 years older than me. One of them won, like, tickets to something from a radio station and had to go downtown and pick it up, and it was it seemed really exciting, and I wanted to go along before I went to... It was really early in the morning before I went to school. And so we went downtown for that. And then the one other time I remember going downtown was to pick them up from work once and because they shared a car and it was in the shop or something. Um, I was, so I went with my parents to pick them up from work. And that was it. Those were the two times we went downtown. And I remember being scared. I remember being in the car and looking around. And you didn't see what you see now. Like It wasn't like Walking Dead. It was more like Sid and Nancy. Hmm. It was more, it was a lot of mohawks. It yeah. was a lot of, we still have a lot of metal in the face, but it was, you know, it was a lot of spike chokers. It was a, there was a huge punk scene, I must imagine, because that's definitely, that was the style. Um, there were some homeless people, but they seemed, a lot of them were ambulatory and just, it, 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 it's, it was the typical, you know, there's a carrying a paper bag around, yeah. presumably with a bottle of alcohol. A lot more it. alcohol. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember that really sketchy, though, back, back I guess, when I was younger, was the sketchy Did area. you come downtown when you were younger? When I was, yeah, when I was in, I went to high school in Milwaukee, so. Are like, we the same vintage? When did you graduate high school? 94. Okay, we basically are. I graduated in 95. Yeah, okay. okay. So for, for me, my experience with downtown proper was not like that. We came all the time. Uh uh, it was very easy to get to from Milwaukee, like to downtown. You just go right up McLaughlin, the 99, and, and you're there in 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Uh, and so we would go to the City Nightclub, uh, the Quest Nightclub, Powell's Bookstore. Um, my mom would take me shopping at Nordstrom all the time. So, like, we were downtown a lot, and I didn't find it scary, but I'll tell you what was scary was Lloyd Center area. And and I where and Tanya Harding was skating at the time. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that because I know. Did so you ever go watch her skate? She, no, I didn't. I didn't actually. I, did, I didn't know about her until the Olympics, and by that time, you know, she was quickly right. out of there. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So her career was quite short after the Olympics. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, because of crime. But yeah, you know, a high school friend I went. Uh, I, a high school friend, her uncle was a lawyer in Portland and was um, lived in Irvington and went to get uh, some milk at the corner store. And he was actually mugged. I guess when I say mugged, I should say jumped. Uh, he was actually mugged and shot. And he was shot? Made a paraplegic. Yeah. And I met him a number of times. And so I always Holy was like, oh, Lloyd Center is really sketchy. That made was Made a 80s. paraplegic. Yeah. He was a paraplegic. Um, and I'm not sure what happened there, why they ended up having to shoot him. Maybe he resisted. But ever, I mean, so I never went to that area. I And my dad, plus my dad was a resident in Emmanuel. So we did go to Emmanuel. And your dad was, was a doctor. Sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so Emmanuel's in North Portland. Yeah. For people who who um, don't, for listeners who don't know the ge geography of the city, and uh, 
And North Portland. Close in north. It's, close in north, right. Yeah. And and that was sort of a no-go mm. area. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was where we really. So for me, the sketchy part of Portland was Lloyd Center through the Mississippi area. And Lloyd Center's yeah. northeast. Yeah, but inner northeast, yep. right? So that that area that just kind of like the close in north and northeast was where I always considered like the no go zone. Downtown was okay for me. I didn't, I didn't. We used to go there as my me and my friends, and we didn't see any issues. But I remember thinking the Emanuel area was very sketchy, and that my dad didn't let me. Um, like walk around there when I came to visit him a minute. And of course now it is again. It's for a minute. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and so is the Lloyd center area is also so quite sketchy. Yeah. Um, and, and and they've got the same thing going on that, and I never thought that was going to come back. I think to loop back to what we were saying is, is like, um, I always thought, okay, that was then, and then Portland got cleaned up and then Portland was safe. And then you weren't going to get mugged in Portland. You could in New York, but you weren't going to get mugged in Portland, and so and now we're now you're thinking of the is this early nineties? Yeah, the nineties yeah. when things were gentrifying and and like what do you have an understanding of the history here? Because so how did we get so gritty in the eighties? Like I think we have a lot of theories. You and I and we and we talked about this the other day. A lot of theories about why we're so gritty now. Mm-hmm. Why were we so gritty in the eighties and were we was I don't crack. think downtown was always that gritty. Was was it crack? Crack. That's what I think. Yeah, because and the reason why I think that is there's a couple reasons, but one of them is that I remember hearing, like I said, my friend, she's also a lawyer uh in Portland, um, uh, but her uncle, the one that was a lawyer that became a paraplegic, we always heard that it was because he was mugged by a crackhead. Now, people use that term pretty loosely, but, um, and then I just know that in our country as a whole, crack created uh, created uh, some pretty desperate people because the thing about crack is like when it wears off uh, and, you're, and you've been doing it for a long time, it, it, it creates a strong craving in the moment. And I think that generated quite a bit of violence uh, because somebody could could go and attack somebody and even if they only got five or ten dollars that'd be enough to get their fix uh but that's what i think the 80s was about was crack and then also just it was definitely a scourge up and down the west coast and it's my understanding is it started in la and then it worked its way up is that your understanding like early 80s yeah maybe late 70s late 70s was coke nobody coke for some reason coke didn't seem to Coke didn't make people. Coke make, made people seem to make uh, pe- people who had a lot of money more money. Yeah, well, <laughs> it didn't seem to lead to muggings in the way that crack. Yeah, did. and I think that's part of that is the socioeconomic thing. It's more for expensive. sure it is for sure it is. But another thing I think part of it is is the way you come down, and I mean, and there are some things about these drugs that do like so crack. It's like it it, it takes you up really fast, and then you come down really low pretty quickly and that creates a lot of um desperation so i don't know i mean yeah the 80s were sketch i don't know what the 70s were like in portland um i was only four at the end of the 70s but um yeah the 80s were sketchy 
But then, you know, obviously it was really good for a long time. And what happened, though? Did crack? What happened with that? Because what was that? Was that the crime bill that? I think they put course, a lot of people in prison. Yeah. Was that the crime bill that, that you know, Joe Biden was so vilified for? I, I, what's so interesting that people, I think a lot of people don't talk about is the Black Caucus actually supported the crime bill at the time. Well, they felt like their neighborhoods were being terrorized. Exactly. And that's why you see the 6% support for Joanne Hart, or what I think. Okay. As a half white person, I cannot speak at all for Right. The black you're community. half Indian. Half Indian, half white, and to be honest, I only have a couple black friends. I'm just gonna be totally well. You live in Portland, that. yeah, and so I can't. And even if I had a lot of black friends, I couldn't speak for no, the black of community. Not. Of and even not. one black person can't speak for the whole black of course community, not. right? So, but but I will say that Joanne Hardesty has six percent support in East Portland, which is now the more the probably the area with the most black people, and. While I don't know how many black people support her versus whatever, but what I what I think is that there are a lot of people in the black community who are very concerned about crime. And so that doesn't surprise me that they would have supported a crime bill. Yeah, well, the data yeah. is during the defund movement, I remember being really, I, I just, well, a lot of it, it happened so fast, frankly, we went from George Floyd to to the defunding, particularly. I mean, particularly in Portland. Well, well, wait a minute though, because I know what. If if there's somebody listening to you who's who's kind of um, not already on the same page as the two of us, right? Uh, they're gonna say, but it never got defunded. I mean, I know you. You know, you can. Oh, look I know they're Twitter gonna say that. say that because you would look at the budget and it, it didn't really go down by that much. However. <laughs> The number of police did. Uh, and well, I, I think we need to be clear. So Joanne Hardesty actually laid all this out herself. Uh, it, it, was, it was June 17th, 2020, on Twitter, and she writes, Today's city council voted to adopt the city's budget, which included cutting $27 million in total from the Portland Police Bureau's budget. If that's not defunding, I don't know exactly what is. I know what they'll argue. They'll argue, but we've put that money back into police. Yeah, and they may also argue that as a percentage, it wasn't very much. I don't know what the total budget is. Oh, well, is. they they yeah. wanted 50. So if you go to her Twitter feed and you find that June 17th, 2020 thread that she did about the $27 million defunding of the police in Portland, you'll see that she says, um, you know, I know it wasn't the $50 million that we wanted, but you know, look what we've done and we should really celebrate it. And, and that's, I mean, right. So, I mean, <laughs> and we, and we didn't abolish the police. We, I, I mean, I'm sure had she been in, in charge, we, we may, we may have, may I don't have. know. It'd easily, or some of her acolytes would have certainly done it. Uh, well, they're still calling for things like that. But what I don't, what I think, I mean, okay, so I will, I can even accept the argument that the police did not get defunded because even if you say twenty-seven million, it, it did get put back, and then it, it isn't. I believe the but total, that, but it was too late. The total budget is probably what a couple hundred million. We started putting money back into the police after the city went to shit. But I think what happened, in my view, that is akin to defunding, or at least eviscerating 
the Portland violence at right now, which I think is hugely problematic uh, for certain neighborhoods, particularly the east in the east of the city, uh, there is a huge amount of crime. Like, and and I don't think maybe many of your listeners don't necessarily yeah, live let's there. Let's talk about that. Uh, but I'll tell you from personal experience, both me and my assistant, uh, he lives um, over. He lives with the parents over over their uh, uh, Ukrainian immigrants um, over, like, in the Gateway area uh, in some apartments. And, and for people who don't know, talk about the Gateway area. That's, like, uh, over by Washington and Stark when it crosses the 205, like, um, kind of uh, what you... I don't know what the technical name of that neighborhood is. Powellhurst Gilbert or something like I, that? I think you're right. And what's yeah. the socioeconomic status of that neighborhood or the reputation of the neighborhood? The reputation is 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 poor and high crime. And the socioeconomic status is somewhat, is somewhat complex. But it, it, as it is in much of East Portland, you have there... It has gone down recently. So it used to be middle class, like nothing higher than that and working class and then what happened is contrary to decades of uh socio uh sociological research the portland city government continues to decided and continues to locate all of the very lowest income housing in one place, and that is it. It's all in the Hazelwood, Powellhurst, Gilbert areas. So basically anything from around 100th to, you know, there's a lot on 122nd, 100th to the Portland border. If you're talking any large project that has a place where people can live with zero income, it's going to be located there. And so it's not downtown. No. I think a lot of people think that the Section 8 housing, well, although sec, is Section 8, does Section 8 housing require any kind of contribution from the people living in it? I actually don't know. I think it's yeah. a sliding scale, right? Yeah, I don't, and I don't know all of the, I mean, it, for one thing, in, in my view, that, that, that our whole system of providing this type of housing is so complex and overly complex, but that's but another topic. what you're topic saying is, is if, you're, if your income is zero, you're actually you're not downtown. There. You're going to be there. You're um, on the far east side. Yeah, around 122nd. So what you see is in that area, they, the city is put, is, uh, having these big complexes put in um, with with so many units and they go along the major thoroughfares. And then so what you have is you have these um, very low income people living in apartments along the major thoroughfares in, in east of the 205. And then once you go back behind that, there's not developable land because those were all subdivisions. So and they were developed in the you know the 50s through the the 80s, and so you have a lot of really actually like Wonder Years type like little areas with 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 nice well kept uh, ranch homes um, on quiet streets that are actually really nice. I mean they they're they're very pleasant places, but what happens is there is unlike the rest of Portland, the way they built that those. Areas are all dead ends. You make a right turn off of one of the major thoroughfares and then you're like 
in a little maze of streets. You can't walk through them. They're, so they're not pedestrian friendly because, A, there's no sidewalks. But, B, like, uh, you can't walk through. You, if you're going to try to not walk on a major street that maybe doesn't have a sidewalk or is very unpleasant to walk on and you want to, take say, take the side roads to have a nice, pleasant stroll, you can't do it. You'll get blocked off and you'll have to backtrack and come out to a major road and walk on gravel for a long time with cars speeding by you um, and, like, have gravel kipped up. I mean, you just can't walk in East Portland. Uh, it's, it's, you can't get through on a quiet street. So you have to go on a main street, which often is super hectic. So that's the setup there in the back areas, in the middle of it, there, there are middle-class housing and then very poor along the thoroughfares. And many of those areas that now are where we are experiencing a lot of the gun crime, because what happens is, is a lot of those areas, I've had clients also that live in some of those apartments, um, for personal injury, not hourly paying clients. Uh, and um, the, what happens is, is that those areas, they will have, uh, you know, very low income people, very low income people. So, um, and when I say low income, like $5,000 a year, uh, like maybe they worked for a few months uh, part-time and then there's so so there's the, and I don't I want to say this in the most productive way possible, but it's like many of the young males are involved in selling drugs, and when you I've had so like uh, I can speak from experience across the way from my house in Lentz, there's uh, some apartments, and uh, there was a young guy that moved in there. Um, uh, cause things, I guess, got a little too hot for him in Phoenix. So he moved into with his auntie in Lentz and I saw what was happening. He had not been to Portland before. He was, he has real low self-esteem guy. First, second time I met him, he's like, Hey, you got any weed? And I'm like, it's at the max stop. And I'm like, I guess, yeah, here, have some. And then, and then he's like, you know, he's like, I just want to tell you, I just, I have dreams of shooting people in the face. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, a lot of people have violent thoughts. And, and, and what I was thinking is, is that there's such, like, even the Joanne Hardesty supporters will say this, there is such generational trauma in the young black male community. And, but what happened is, is he's like, for sure. So, so like, you know, I start, I got to know him. He had gotten in a car accident downtown and I helped him out, try to diagram him out because his insurance denied him and said it was his fault and it wasn't. And so I drew a picture. I said, fax this to them, you know, whatever. So we got to be friends and, um, he starts hanging out with these guys like, and they're like hanging out in front of my house. About how old would you say this, this, this kid is probably about male was 20. Okay. Maybe a little bit younger. Young adult. Yeah. Uh, late teens. He's probably about 20. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm working at Fred Meyer, but they just don't respect me. And they, they you know, they, they make me do all the worst jobs. And, and, and uh, you know, and that, that sucked for him. And so he's like, you know, and so he's like, yeah, but, you know, I got to do the hustle. I got to do the hustle. And, like, what the hustle means is selling drugs. And he's and I'm like, but why? Why would you? I, I remember talking to him about this in my driveway. I was like, but why would you 
risk going to prison just to do the hustle like when it it's not even making you that much money and of course this was before measure 110 which decriminalized drugs uh, in oregon yeah but it didn't decriminalize selling them uh so you could still get into and the feds are still prosecuting uh if our wonderful da may not be but uh, well although but wouldn't you say the climate is much different than the store the the time period in which the store the story that you're telling right now Wouldn't you say the climate today is much different? I mean, just walking here from my parking lot, I think I walk about 50 steps, and every day I see, on average, one or two drug deals. I'm Usually it's the kind of thing that's... Usually what I see the most is the kind of thing that is literally decriminalized, which is just somebody smoking a fentanyl pill or something. But one or two drug deals and it's it's now just day rigor it's like um having a dog on a leash and walking yeah, by i'm 100 percent with you on that i mean i think that it has a, in the amongst the homeless community in particular uh it has allowed for a proliferation of of open air drug markets now they're used to so yeah and, but i'm sorry yeah. i interrupted you and i so you're, the point is, at the time that this was going on, this young man could have been in danger of, of going to prison. I mean, he still would be in danger of going to prison, but the risk was much higher. Yeah, because I was like, you know, you know, and he was dealing marijuana. And I'm like, and that was what was so funny to me. I was like, it's legal. Why are you bothering with that? And he's like, well, I just got to do the hustle, man. It's like... The hustle was marijuana dealing? Yeah. And, and I'm like, why are you even bothering with marijuana? But... Um, so like, cause I'm like, if you get pulled over and you have like a few pounds, like you could still get in trouble. Like if, particularly if you're not in Portland, in Multnomah County. And, and his point was that it was just what gave him meaning in his life. Uh, essentially that's not how he put it. But what I did notice is that, uh, that is, that is what the answer was, was that life was boring and meaningless unless he was kind of doing the hustle. And so what the hustle involved with, he started hanging out with these other guys who were, had been in Portland longer. I think it would be boring in comparison. Yeah. And, and had exactly, and had been in Portland longer than him. And these guys were not so nice. Like they would all sit in their car and just take these bong rips of like 28% marijuana all night and throw all their garbage into my yard and and I was like, I talked to them so many times about it. I'm like, can you please not throw all your garbage, your butts, your McDonald's wrappers, your your everything just out the window and and into my yard? And what was the response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we won't. But then you know, of course, they do it again. And and I was just, it was just like so frustrating. And I was, I ended up talking to them so many times. I ended up having to talk to the landlord of the apartment complex because I lost my temper eventually. I mean, they're just constant. So, but these guys, the other guys, this kid was like kind of on the border, like of like he could, how his life was going to go. And, but these guys were already there. Like, you know, they have like, uh, grills on their teeth. Like we would see guns in the, in the, uh, in the car sitting on the passenger seat. Uh, one time they, literally drove up onto my neighbor's lawn and drove right through their house, like took off all the siding and then drove off. And we all knew it was them. We, it, it, and it's like, 
you people have no respect. And I was, and it's just like, why, you know, why are you hanging out with these people? But anyway, my point to loop back is. Did it ever occur to you to call the police? Come on. I mean, at that time. What are they going to do? I don't know. I don't know. At that time, maybe something. A police report about people are throwing garbage in my lawn. And plus, I don't want to get him in trouble. Like those other guys, I didn't really care about. No, about the two guys with the grill. Yeah, they did and, get a. And I don't know cops. why you wouldn't take photos of the of the house and and then take they yeah, could do witness reports of these guys ripping bong loads and selling drugs in your mm-hmm. neighborhood. I mean, I'll tell you what the reality is on our block was that like these guys did that. We all know they did it. Those people who owned the house did call the police. Nothing got done. What time period was this? This was uh, like... Was this post-2016? It was around... Yeah, it was around 2020. There was... Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, the police had... I don't know if they were ever... Were they ever in Lens? Was there ever a police presence in Lens? Yeah, you used to be able to... Yes, you used to be able to police to call the police and they would come and, and, and do stuff. And, and Did that stop in 2016 when Hales moved all the homeless onto the spring water? No, I mean, you were still able to call the police for, for things and they would come. I remember, you know, the police actually, like, my car got stolen twice in one week. And the police came for that. When was that? That was 2019, maybe. And, um, you know, the funny thing about that story, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. Is like, Mike, I, like, went to a Chinese restaurant off Division because there's so many good Chinese restaurants there are. in Lens. That's yeah. where that's where yeah. they all are. And uh, car, I go to eat dinner, and then I come back. My car's gone. So then I'm like, report, make the report, and then they find it in Milwaukee. And then I go and get it, and then I bring it back to my house in Lens. And like, I let my dog out the next morning, like 12 hours later, and it's gone again, and out of my driveway. And then and I knew it was the same person. Um, and so then I'm how like, did you know? I just knew it because it's like, how did they, they came back to get their stuff that was in the car and like, um, and they had rifled through all of the information. Oh, so their they had stuff was address. still uh, in yeah, the car. I think there was something in there like, and, um, oh, maybe they had hidden something. Or, yeah. Okay. And like, because it's like, how did they, I mean, it's just weird. I've never had a car. We, none of us have ever had a car stolen on our little cul-de-sac and it's never happened. Even though there's car thefts everywhere, yeah. it had never happened on our block because it's a dead end. So anyway, I just was convinced, and 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 in fact, so was the Clackamas DA. And so the Multnomah County DA was like, I'm like, they took my car again. And I'm like, are you guys going to do anything about this? And they're like, and then the cop shows up, actually, the Portland police, and he's like, he's like, I mean, my experience with Portland police has often been good, but I'm not African-American, but... Uh, and he's like, you know, this this city is just going to shit. I want to leave. And um, he's like, the DA doesn't care. This was in like 2019. Yeah, he's like, you know, these people. That was when Rod Underhill. Yeah, but he's the same as the current one. Rod, I don't think he's the same, but I he was pulling back. Yeah, and and he and, was Rod was pulling back. I, I I like Rod, but but Rod was pulling back. And then then the, you know he's like, you know, they, these there there's a new breed of people on the street this cop was telling me he's like they'll they'll break your window for five dollars like they don't care and um yeah and so the da the portland da was like i'm sorry your car was taken 
but you know, you know, something, something. And I'm like, my car was not taken. It was stolen. And then like months later, because my car was found in Milwaukee, uh, I get an invitation to the grand jury down there. I go talk to the grand jury and, um, they, they, it was the same person who was repeat car theft guy. And they put him away for three years. Multnomah County yeah, didn't like do anything. Of, didn't no. do anything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, East Portland, basically, what you've got is these, 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 um... Whatever happened to this young man? Yeah, I don't know, because I moved he away. Did, oh, he... Yeah. So you moved, um... I rented out my house last year, that was 2021, and so I don't know, I don't know... That's how you lost touch with him, is you moved? Yeah. And you haven't seen him since? No, because I haven't been back there. There's new tenants in there. And I don't know if he's still there. You know, a lot of these... So one thing I will say about um, sort of the lower income uh, uh, young black men is they tend to bounce around like they because they're, they're not getting on leases themselves. So they're usually staying with someone else. And so there's nothing that really ties them to one particular apartment a lot of times. So they do tend to move around. I think that's true about a lot of the white men too yeah. that we see just walking around aimlessly on the streets. Yeah, which you see so many now. So just to wrap that one thing up is... And it's all males, isn't it? Yeah, males because... There is this crisis. It, it's... Yeah. One of the few people that is actually talking about it is Barry Weiss, who has the mm-hmm. Honestly podcast, and she has a she has a Substack called Common Sense. It's really good. Oh, the other person talking about this crisis of males is Andrew Sullivan, and he, I mean, he's really been exploring the idea that. Um, they're just not doing so well. And, and and it's not like, oh, boo-hoo, it's the patriarchy isn't doing so well. He freely acknowledges and, and says, and actually all of his guests do, say, you know, of course women didn't do well for ever, and they're just starting to do well, and they should be doing well, and they should keep everything that they've worked so hard to earn. Really, the question is more like, let's look around at these aimless young men, a lot of them young, but a lot of them not so young. If you look around in Portland, a lot of these aimless men are, are not so young. Well, who knows how old they actually are because well, they true. age really quickly. But, uh, there's but it's a, a lot of men. There's a lot of young men. You can see them. We could just Well, we're looking out the window right now, yeah. and I can, I'm, watching, I'm watching aimless men walking around. To the extent you see women, I, I, my guess is and just from like literal observation is it's it's, there's a fair amount of sex work yeah uh but i don't see a lot of women aimlessly wandering around in the way i do men i don't know what your observational i mean it's get it's gotten i was gone for most of the last year and i come back here and i i know i just sent a text to my friend i'm like there's so many young able-bodied men just doing drugs on the streets of Portland. It's, it's, there's, it it just gets more and more all the time. Uh, I just got a book. I haven't read it yet, but it's, it's one of the guys that I had heard. I know I heard him on Andrew Sullivan. I may have heard him on Barry Weiss too. Richard Reeves is his name and he's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute where he directs the boys and men project. And his book is called of boys and men, why the modern male is struggling, why it matters and what to do about it. And he also has a new substack, sub and it's 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 fascinating. It's just about how 
you know, boys are, boys are, they've, for whatever reason, the data is they're less resilient than girls. Um, There's a cartoonish masculinity of mega. For whatever reason, we still can't get very many male teachers, which he thinks is a real loss, which I do too. I mean, it would be nice, I think, for men to have, I think representation matters. I think it would be nice for men to have male role models in the classroom. Yeah. For boys to have male role models in the classroom. Um, He talks about the huge gains of black women and how great that's been for them. Um, But how in the meantime, we're not turning to males and saying, well, what the hell are we, what the hell are we really going to do with you? Because it's not a sexy thing. Like he was talking about how, you know, Biden's doing this student loan forgiveness. Well, who does that benefit? It benefits women because women are incurring student debt by going to college more women are going to college and graduate school than men. And there is apparently this, uh, Richard Reeves was saying, there is apparently a bill or or some kind of policy legislation sitting, floating around in the White House and in Congress about funding trade schools. But because that's more of a male issue, it just isn't getting traction. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different I don't know that should be getting traction because it's it's a really important thing but you're right it's not and then it, I mean some of that is just an innate um, disdain for the working class that's always been there uh, yeah these young the young men though like partic- okay particularly the young black men are uh, there are such low expectations for them and they internalize that and they it makes them really angry to be honest, to paint with a hugely broad brush. I don't know anything yeah. about that specifically, but I I have heard, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard Glenn Lowry, who's a black economist at Brown and a PhD, his training was at MIT. Uh, he calls it the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah, and, the, and the, it's huge. I mean, it, it, it's huge. I see it. I see it on the Max train, like, you know, the, the, the young black guy in the group is like expected to be this kind of clown, not expected to be doing well in school. Um, John McWhorter, who is on the Glenn show a lot too. Glenn has a podcast and he has a Substack, as well as his, his work at Brown. Uh, John McWhorter is black and he's a linguist at Columbia. He's on the Glenn show a lot. And he talks about, his experience as a young black male feeling like it wasn't cool to be smart. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it isn't, I mean, in that, I don't know a whole lot about, about that culture other than just having lived, had black young black neighbors, but there is a, I mean, if you talk about that sort of macho masculine culture times that by, by 10 in the black community, the, the, the ideal is definitely not to be bookish or studious. It's to be tough. And, um, it's to be, that's what McWhorter says. Yeah. It's this, 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 and, and, and that's what pulls them to this hustler gangster lifestyle because it's, it's cool in their world. And it is also more achievable than making a lot of money in the working world. Well, and where are the role models in Portland? We've got a big problem. I mean, we have a big problem in this city with that. Because if you look at statistically, uh, 
there is more violence in our Portland black male community, young black male community, than there is in like Baltimore, like or or any of these many. Is that true? Yes. I mean, it's true. You're more likely to get shot as a young black male in Portland than you are in Baltimore. Um, It's uh, it's I mean, look at. okay. So to back that's this up, stunning. it's it, well, look at, look at our murder rate now is around 90 a year for the last couple of years. Um, the victims are like 40 something percent black male, young black male. So if you look at, and, and you look at our, the city of Portland now, po- black population is down. It's going down all the time. Uh, Why do you think that is? Because that's uh, oh Lionel Irving, who was on this show, who is now on the who's on the FitCog team, the gun. It's I, I call it the gun violence reduction team because that's all like yeah, that's my reference. But older, it's yeah. not that's not what it is. Obviously, it's like a yeah. community gun violence task force kind of deal. Uh, anyway, he was he's a black male community leader, and I think he's in touch with my. Um, black district attorney friend and is one of the resources that she uses. But anyway, he's, he, he said that I, I, I just remembered. He said, uh, black community is no longer in Portland. The black community is now in East County in Gresham. Yeah. I mean, it's getting, it's getting East more and more East. And so as that happens, is that gentrification? Well, yeah. If you consider that the previous areas where black people lived in Portland are gentrified, already uh that is probably gentrification uh is that is what driving it but again it's it's looking for community as well potentially i mean once you get to a certain point you're gonna go move where you know people and and like i said like i've told i can't imagine living here and and being a black person i just i can't imagine it it would be so my da friend loves it I would feel, I think I would feel very lonely. I think it, you know, it depends. Like, so, so as I was telling you though, what's happening is, is that a lot of places for black people to live who are, they're disproportionately on, um, subsidized housing are being created on 122nd and, um, those areas. So that there is, that's where the room being is, is for black people to move now but when you get out to those areas, it's harder to have community because these buildings are like along these really major roads. They're really big. They're all apartments and they're kind of alienating in a certain way. It's not a walkable neighborhood. Uh, there isn't a lot of... Uh, it's probably what's known as a food desert. So yeah. there's no grocery stores really that you could you can access well, easily. You need to drive to them. Um, and uh, and it's very, it's you know, it's quite... Suburban, it has even less stuff than suburbs do a lot of times. Um, and so that is not an ideal place. And it is it is generating a lot of violence. So it, it our black community is not doing well, at least the young black males. I mean, there's a huge amount of violence, like uh, particularly the last couple of years. And many of it is because there's all these disputes. A lot of them probably are related to you know, to drug selling and stuff. But it's not just that. I mean, it, it's also like... No, it's also education. I, I have a friend who started a black... Who started Kairos, a black charter school uh, near Jefferson High School. She's an absolutely amazing person. She helped 
start this charter school and she had she moved here from New York and I remember talking to her we both had this equal disdain for Portland even though I'm a native and I I just I became friends with her so quickly because I related to her criticisms of of Portland and she said she just couldn't believe how horrific Portland public schools were and she said even at the quote-unquote good schools black males were faring terribly and were graduating at it did, and, and I think she may have even said it didn't matter based on socioeconomic status because even at the the quote unquote good schools they they just they weren't black males were not graduating at the same rate and they weren't excelling academically and that's why she created Kairos that's why she created this this charter school so I think I think it really it starts early here in Portland doesn't it Yeah it it. It does, and it and, and there's a lot of components to it. I mean, the the, what, the where we are housing our our black people in Portland is very problematic because uh, spatially. And I remember one time interacting with the mayor's office on this just by email because I'm like, you know, we should have learned. One would have thought with like Cabrini Green and all these things that you don't want to put all of your the very poorest people, you do not want to locate them all in the same place. But, you know, other cities spread it around, particularly in Europe, they do that too. You know, you put a little, you know, you put a low-income housing, kind of kind of sprinkle them around. And that way, you don't have this huge area of concentrated Especially poverty. families. But Portland is probably one of the worst... I mean, we're supposedly like all into urban planning, and we have, and this we're thing all at into PSU. diversity, and we're we all are, we're all yeah. into BLM, yeah. and we're all into we're all into BLM science. We're all into Black Lives. We're we're into BLM science. Uh, you put the sign up; that's what we're into. If uh, but the fact is, is that where we are putting all of our black people is in a ghetto. We're creating a ghetto from 122nd into the Portland border. If we're creating it more and more all the time. When you see where I think these, Lionel would agree with you. Where these big projects are going in are going in, they're always going in there. Like and same thing with the safe rest villages, like they're all going into poor neighborhoods, at least where they're planned. I don't know if that's where they're gonna end up getting built, but it's like supposedly we're all progressive, but I think they were planned everywhere. I mean, I there was almost one. I live in a quote unquote nice neighborhood, and there was nearly one, one right next to nearly us. Nearly one. But my understanding is there's only one up so far, yeah. and it's in Multnomah Village. Because That's not East County. No, but when you look at the map of where they where they are, you mean where to they be, wanted them, to where be. they wanted to be. Yes, it was disproportionately. It in, was yes. you could you could super. It was everywhere, but it was disproportionately in poorer areas. You could superimpose it onto an area, uh, and I did this in my letter to 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 Dan Ryan from the Lentz, uh neighborhood. Well, I think we should talk about that. I think we should yeah. talk about that because that's how I learned about you. I learned about you because I read your letter. And I read it, I don't even remember how I ended up reading it. I, it was probably after I started connecting with the community of Lentz and talking more and more with the, everybody who was living there, and particularly the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association and the, their members. And it's funny, if you go to the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association website now, 
front and center is one of my podcast episodes with a couple of residents of a, a couple of Ellen LA members, Lens Neighborhood Livability Association members. And then right under that, it says letter from <laughs> yeah. uh, Donnell Courtney they liked it. <laughs> lawyer, <laughs> comma lawyer. And, and so there's two, two, you and I are front and center yeah. on the Lens Neighborhood Livability Association page. And your letter was relatively recent. So it's it says it's April 21st, 2022. Is it okay if I read it? Yeah. And it was sent to Dan Ryan. It says, regarding proposed safe rest village in Lentz neighborhood, dear Commissioner Ryan, I represent the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association, and I am a longtime Lentz homeowner. I currently rent my Lentz house out and reside elsewhere due to the increasing burden of violent crime I experienced. I was mugged on two separate occasions while walking in the vicinity of the proposed village by people who appeared to be houseless. I am writing to indicate our united opposition to the proposed plan to locate a safe rest village in Lentz, at least as the plan currently exists due to one, all of the sites are located in areas already suffering from high burdens of homelessness related to drug selling and related drug Gun crime, this violates the city's duty of care to residents of Lentz as it will increase the number of gun crimes, gun injuries, and deaths in this already violent neighborhood. Your plan indicates that these residents are to be relocated from, quote, high-impact camps, unquote, and there is no requirement for drug testing or entry into treatment. High-impact camps are populated by heavy drug users who tend to disregard their neighbors and create the trash, drug use, and violence that get the camp called high-impact. Heavy drug users attract drug dealers. Drug dealers fight with guns. Two, the lack of adequate safeguards for neighbors with the proposed plan. There are further a number of ways in which this proposed location violates the city's published and adopted goals for this program and for equity. Three, because all of the new sites are located at the periphery of the city, which are now the lowest income and most diverse neighborhoods in Portland. This plan is structurally racist and likely intentionally racist and violates the city's stated goals to focus on quality of life outside of the city's core white areas. Four, the city announced a broad-reaching plan to restore the Johnson Creek watershed to protect local residents from flooding and to increase the wildlife of the area. The proposed site is an open space immediately adjacent to Baker's Tick Refuge. This land forms a sort of buffer zone and increases the overall viability of the project from both a wildlife and water absorption perspective. Covering it with an impermeable surface will increase runoff and not absorb water, introducing heavy drug users into the area will increase trash and toxic byproducts of the drug-using lifestyle into the environment. The increased human activity and the toxic garbage will affect the nascent wildlife restoration going on in the area. We feel strongly about this issue and will be exploring any and every option to oppose and prevent it being located here, including litigation and teaming up with other partners across the city impacted by this unsound and dangerous plan. This is about drugs and guns. The city owes us a duty of care not to increase the amount of either. Our opposition is largely about drugs and assaults, which increasingly involves guns. We do not want to be shot. 
the city owes us a duty of care not to willfully increase the physical danger level we face. Advocates for the houseless have recently released statements saying that neighbors opposed to these villages do so because they are victims of misinformation about houseless people. This information is supposedly being propagated by nefarious, unnamed agents. False. This isn't about houseless people. This is about people with severe and persistent addiction to methamphetamine being brought in and sold by violent, unscrupulous people. This addiction causes severe psychosis and a medically documented and proven increase in aggression. This drug trade involves a documented, we document it below, you say in parentheses, increase in, ins- in assaults with guns. We live in Lentz. We aren't just reading about these problems. We experience it every day in our own yards. We are not victims of propaganda. We are speaking from experience. Houseless people have been living around and amongst us for a decade now. A, not all houseless are addicts. Again, we know this from experience. I allowed a woman to live in her SUV in my driveway for six months and plug her heater in my garage. Darla, quote unquote, was not an addict, and she eventually found housing with family in the Midwest. I also struck up a friendship with a sweet young man who would rap at my window looking to hang out. He was lonely. It's hard to make good friends on the multi-use path. He always turned down my offers of food and beer, but accepted cash and clothing. He regularly entered meth psychosis, speaking to people who were not there. I turned down his offer to smoke meth with him. My experience with houseless people in Lens also includes being followed, screamed at, and chased by people in what appeared to be a meth-related state of psychosis while walking in Lens. It was very scary. The distinction we are making is between people who have no homes and people in meth psychosis. I repeat, the problem is with people in meth psychosis, not people who have no homes. Perhaps I need to repeat this again because advocates and activists, city employees seem to have trouble understanding this distinction. The activist crowd also has trouble understanding those who make this distinction, calling us all sorts of names like fascists or ignorant or victims of propaganda against the houseless. Let me make this very clear. Adding to the population of people eligible for a no barrier shelter, i.e., heavy drug users to a neighborhood already suffering from the second worst problem with drug addiction in the city is unwise and unfair to those of us who live here housed and unhoused, not to mention these are to be people from the most impactful of the existing camps, the hardest of the hard. Look what happened to Old Town. We live here. Old Town is not primarily residential. Lentz is Here is a list of crimes in the area that happened to us Lentz residents just within the past two months that are likely drug-related. And there's an exhibit in which you detail Lentz gun crimes in the last two months, and it is not, I'm saying this parenthetically, stepping away from your letter for a minute, it is not a short list. Going back to your letter, you say, before I outline to you the serious and dangerous flaws in the proposed plan and its location, I want to give you some background about the LNLA and what capacity it represents the will of the neighborhood. And then, of course, you go on to talk about the Lentz, the Lentz uh, Neighborhood Association and the reason that it was, that it was created, the, the LN, the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association, the reason it was created, which has been explained on a couple other episodes uh, on this show. We had uh, Juanita Swartwood and Todd Littlefield on. We also had Char Penny and, and her partner Dave 
on the show, and they they talked about this too. They talked about how the Lentz Neighborhood Association had failed the residents of Lentz, and you go into detail about this in your letter, and why the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association, which is a nonprofit that is not a city-sanctioned neighborhood association, had to be formed. And you say in your letter, as the neighborhood began to experience more and more problems with crime and garbage after the tenure of Mayor Hales when camping was allowed to proliferate on the multi-use paths and floodplain public parks that are in Lentz, we have the longest stretch of the 205 path in any neighborhood, as well as some of the most isolated stretches of the Springwater Corridor and the ever-expanding acreage of the Foster floodplain. There was no help for residents from the city, nor the city recognized Lentz Neighborhood Association. And you say the LNA, the Lentz Neighborhood Association, which was the city-sanctioned neighborhood association, became controlled by a tightly knit group of recent transplant millennials who took a stance on social issues that was at odds with most of the residents of Lentz, or at the very least, most of the residents of Lentz who attended neighborhood meetings. As a result, attendance dwindled. By 2021, their activities were attended by no one, and their meetings were only attended by the same clique who was on the board and one guy who opposed and disrupted them. There were not enough members present at successive meetings to even conduct board elections, so the board decided to take the only path available to it and disband. In contrast, the Lentz Neighborhood Livability Association has regular and motivated community attendance for their meetings, cleanups, and their partnership with a local church to serve the houseless community. And then you go on to talk about how, yes, the LNLA does tend to have a controversial, a controversial reputation within the city. But but you you say, and and as we've heard on this podcast in these episodes from members of the LNLA, they get attendance at these cleanups. They are cleaning up the city. They are serving the houseless. And you say, but the LNLA, this is in your letter, does not agree with uncontrolled drug sales out of RVs unregistered cars idling at all hours in our back alleys. We don't agree with injection of illegal drugs in public areas, including rights of way, bike and walking paths in natural areas abutting our residents' homes and yards. I guess that's old fashioned. Sometimes wisdom comes with age, a fact lost on this youthful city. We don't approve of camping in public rights of way and in natural areas set aside for the public. Lentz has a lot of poor residents with no personal yard space. We don't approve that there, that is to say, are poor residents housed and unhoused, are parks, gardens, natural areas are given over to camps with no trespassing signs on them, along with indications that violence will be used upon members of the public that enter these public areas. And you say, I myself have been mugged on the Springwater Trail. It's lovely connecting, lovely areas. Currently, the residents of Lentz who do not actually live on it or sell drugs to those who live on it are unable to use it for fear of being injured. And these, and you say these people are coming armed. You say injecting a poisonous drugs that cause psychosis and assaults on innocent people should never be tolerated. It is absolutely unacceptable. The sale of these substances all throughout the proposed location should not be allowed by the city and county, and yet it is. While it is, we cannot support adding to the customer base and bringing more violent drug peddlers into the streets where our children and grandchildren used to, in capital capitals and bold, ride their bikes. 
Portland seems to forget that injecting methamphetamine is far, far more toxic than cigarettes and diesel pollution. It is going right into your veins. It is not a victimless crime as it causes a documented, drastic increase in aggression against others. We tax cigarettes and ban airborne toxins. Why have we encouraged these other poisons? It makes no sense to us. Sadly, merely saying this has caused controversy, and we own it. And, and then you say... The third reason that you don't want this safe rest village in Lentz, that the LNLA doesn't want this, is they don't have adequate protections for the neighborhood, and that violates the city's duty of care to Lentz residents. And you say the proposed camps are supposedly, quote-unquote, low barrier, and for people from pre-existing high-impact camps, with at least one organization having refused to manage one of these camps, which was, in fact, the that was helping hands, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that was Alan Ed. Was that Ed Alan Emmons? Did mm, I say it that, right? Does that name ring a bell? You mean the person who heads that? Yeah, and he's he's he does Wapato too, I think. That now the name I'm not sure. Uh, well, anyway, so that was Helping Hands, and they pulled out because they had actually read this ordinance that Dan Ryan put forth that you're referring to when you say high. What's so interesting about this is when you say high impact camps, you mean it, and you are using the wording of Dan Ryan's own ordinance yeah. in that letter, high-impact camps. That's what, that is the wording that he uses. And he actually defines, he, he defines uh, high-impact in the ordinance, which, as far as I know, is still in effect. It's 190478, and it's in regard to these safe rest villages. And it talks about how the people who will be going into the safe rest villages are from, quote-unquote, I'm reading from the ordinance now, high-impact camps. What is a high-impact camp? I'm reading, again, I'm reading from the ordinance. I'm just going to read directly from Dan Ryan's ordinance's own language. Evidence of conspicuous drug use, paraphernalia, or improperly disposed of syringes. Impact on neighborhood livability, man as measured by the amount of uncontained debris. Proximity to school, park with with playground or private residence, environmental impact on natural areas and or presence, presence of hazardous materials. This is everything you were addressing in your letter is in Lentz and in goes these high impact camps. Restriction of access is defined in the Americans with Disabilities Act standards. You have already talked about, Don, how these people in Lentz can't they're, they're immobile. They, they can't really, uh, except for the, the uh, multi-use path in the spring water, which they used to be able to use, that's completely been taken over by criminal activity and, and open-air drug markets, and they can't, they can't use anything. So imagine if you're disabled and you have a wheelchair. Like, how, how are you able to be mobile in Lentz? Um, I'm going to continue reading from Dan, Dan Ryan's ordinance. Areas that are posted, no trespassing, size of camp. This is a good one. Verified reports of violence or criminal activity other than camping. And then, of course, he goes on, the cherry on top, he goes on to say, uh, we're going to deprioritize the removal of low-impact encampments that are located, wait for it, 150 feet away from a preschool or an elementary school, 150 feet away from child care, 100 feet away. Now, the high schoolers, he thinks they can handle this better. Um, I, maybe people haven't seen in the paper, but a guy was arrested recently for selling drugs <laughs> yeah, to good. Cleveland High School students in Powell Park. Yep, right across the street. Right across the street. Um, Dan Ryan thinks high school students can deal with the homeless more easily, and that's why he, he thinks we, in fact, he codified this in a law. I'm reading this from the ordinance. 
uh, he's going to allow camps 100 feet away from a high school. So that 50 feet, because they're just more mature. They're just more mature, <laughs> and they can handle it better. He, he says um, 50 feet away from a park. Like you said, Don, we can't enjoy our parks anymore. Um, this, this ordinance says, go ahead, camp 50 feet away from a park. They're camping in the parks. Nobody's doing anything about that. Here's, now, now, this is the humdinger. 10 feet away from the entrance of a residence. 10 feet's not very far. 10 feet from your door. Yeah. 10 feet from your door. 10 feet away from the entrance of a business. Well, that already is, I mean... That's already happening. Walk around downtown. Downtown. But see, it's not just downtown. East Portland No, it's not. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. It is in every quadrant of the city. If you own a business... You can't get away from these encampments. And under this ordinance, the Dan Ryan's ordinance that you refer to in your letter so eloquently, so well, addressing every single one of these problems, and particularly the ones that that are primarily affecting Lens, you can't get away from these encampments. And how is somebody going to patronize your business if they have to step over all these bodies in the gutter, the open-air drug markets, the open-air drug use? Well, they won't, and that's why so many businesses are closing. And exactly. then also, you know, so many people in Portland have this idea that, like, the whole world is Portland, and that, and but it's like many of the businesses in Portland rely on suburban customers. And suburban customers just are not coming. I mean, they have even less tolerance for that. So to have, but see, of course, that doesn't matter because if you just look at like um, the recent testimony at the for the mayor's um, homelessness, his yeah. new idea about about uh, yeah making making homeless camps um, unlawful. So the big complaint there is is like uh, it's just so offensive that business interests are allowed to testify uh, because um, the the you know they're, they're not giving homeless people a voice even though half the testimony is from these homeless advocates and then they say like it's just moneyed interests and 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 people with money that all you know are, are the only ones that are being uh, listened to and yeah, it's like, as if small business owners are just teeming with cash and the other thing is is like when they refer to the people that are being listened to as like people who have money or whatever they are referring to the well, 640,000 Portlanders who aren't homeless, that's who they feel it's unfortunate that the city is listening to them. Right. You're moneyed if you if, if you're you not homeless. are housed. Right. And so in the and functional. I mean, I just read this before I came in here today, which just made me so frustrated that I was like, you know what, I don't want to get like too tired out by being frustrated before I show up. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> So I had to just put it down. But I, when I was reading it this morning, I'm like, so what these people are saying is that the city policy and who should be allowed to uh, get their statements on the record, the, it, the, the 650,000 Portlanders who are housed sh- are being listened to too much, not enough. You know that that it, it. What I just find amazing is is like, who do they think that the city is for? It's like, yes, we obviously have to balance the interests, but you know, 
the people who live in this city who aren't homeless are a huge majority. And like the fact that, that you think that they should not have a voice is really just shows me how unhinged some of these uh, people who have the loudest voices have become. Well, and a lot of them are the communities that this city pretends to care the most about. The BIPOC communities, the working poor, they pretend they give lip service to those communities. But, you know, black mama working five jobs who houses herself is considered moneyed and not to be listened to. Well, no, not if she's black. I mean, the point is, is that <laughs> that the, do you all, think all of these people that are saying these people are not supposed to be listened to? That these people being the the ninety nine point nine percent of Portland that's housed, uh, though maybe that's a little bit high. To be honest, there's so many homeless people. Um, oh, they they. Yeah. I just read homelessness increased by fifty percent by fifty percent in one year. I'm guessing it's at least ten thousand people, but it uh, is. But so. Though you know those people are not are all of the people saying this are white, almost all of them, and and so they're saying that that it's like it's like it's just this funny game in Portland. It's like white people arguing about and over people who have like nothing in common with them. So they're they're arguing about homeless people and black people, but all the people arguing are well-paid white people. So it's just really funny to me. So like then, you know, the, and the thing is, is that who this homeless... Yeah, but aren't they also the quote-unquote houseless advocates like Benjamin Domlin and those Kaya Stop Sam. the Sweeps? Yeah, the Stop the Sweeps people and, and Sarah, Street I Roots. Know. Yeah. Aren't they also all those people? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, she is. Yeah, no, they they are all white, but are they? Well, they're they're well paid compared to houseless people. I mean, and the other thing. Well, is they might be well paid compared to a lot of people. I mean, I think the median income in Portland is not very high, and I think a lot of these people are part of nonprofits that are raking in. I mean, mm -hmm. if all you have to do is go through the OHA COVID grants, the Oregon Health Authority COVID grants, look at all the nonprofits they're throwing money to. I mean, we've, we're literally trying to, the city has literally decided it's going to use nonprofits to solve its homelessness problem. And if you look at the, the, the grants that they're giving to some of these nonprofits that many people have never even heard of, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's, it, it, you add it up, it comes close to a million dollars. But you can't, you can't add it up because there's no... There's no transparency. There's nobody auditing it. And the thing is, is like... Well, you can, but you have to dig. So, like, yeah, for example, yeah. we did... We've done episodes on... When A.J. McCreary was running against Dan Ryan, we did some episodes on her nonprofit equitable giving circle which was receiving a lot of press at the time because the idea, and it, it was receiving a lot of donations and the idea behind it sound, sounds really good and it, it may be good. Um, the idea is it's black farmers giving food to black people and we found a, a Oregon Health Authority COVID grant to Equitable Giving Circle for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then we found a city grant to Equitable Giving Circle for hundreds of thousands of dollars, added together almost a million dollars. And then a listener found 
a Instagram post from Equitable Giving Circle's Instagram uh, advertising Zoom seminars about how paperwork is white supremacy. Yeah, that was a thing for a while. And so, and so it called into question, like, what is really the mission of this? What is the mission of this nonprofit? Are they black farmers giving food to black people or are they holding Zoom seminars about how paperwork is white supremacy? And is that what we're paying for? And there was no, you could figure out, like you could see the grants. So we, we you, can, you can find that and we would link to those, but, but there was never any accountability or discussion anywhere that we could find that detailed where that, how that money was actually spent. Well, when's the, so, so, so back in the world before this nonprofit free for all, uh, when, when is the scheduled annual review of that grant? So a grant making institution should have a year later a meeting to take a look at how that money was spent and what they got out of it. That's not happening in Portland. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's ever happened. I don't, I don't know that the city, the city doesn't barely do anything. I mean, if you look at how long it takes to get a permit and, or, I mean, they're just not, I don't know what these people are doing. I think they're just sitting at home cause they're not coming back downtown. Well, as Joanne would say, they're governing from the couch. Right. And so they're just, you know, looking after their kids and cooking lunch and they're not scheduling a meeting to look at, you know, this grants that are going to these organizations. Mingus suggested it. So did you you hear about this? No. So Mingus actually suggested that we look, that we get the, um, what is it, the tax form? Is it a 990, the tax form, the nonprofit tax form? Yeah, but a lot of these ones haven't filed them in like three years. I know like the Oregon Justice Resource Center, I saw something on Twitter, I didn't check it up, hasn't filed that thing in three years. And many of these things have not filed those. So, Well, he wanted, so this is from Willamette Week, and uh, July 20th, 2022, Mingus, this is for that Clean Energy Fund, which I'd love to hear your thoughts about. (laughs) It's the worst one of those. The Clean Energy Fund. Uh, The... the, Portland City Council it says in this Willamette Week article, July 20th, 2022, unanimously approved $122 million in grants from the Portland Clean Energy Community Benefits Fund, a $298 million pot of tax dollars aimed at curbing carbon emissions and driving climate investments into low-income communities of color. And that's the extent of the standards. I mean, that's that's it. There's no more rules to how that money is spent. Well, there must not be, because I can't, none of us can figure out, none of us can figure out where, how how we can trace the money going to the nonprofits, but then we can't figure out how the nonprofits curbed the carbon emissions. Well, okay, so that thing is just, I think, is just one of the most egregious examples anywhere. Of, so you get these, you get the, I want to rein in just my disdain for the Portland voter, but the Portland voter votes in oh, they what love is essentially this they a love this 1% shit. tax, which is huge. A 1% tax, and... The only guidelines for that are like that one sentence you just read. And they're taxing 1%. Like, 
And and so the hundreds of millions of dollars, and the only thing is, is it's supposed to further BIPOC and the environment. Basically, there's no more. It's not flushed out. And you're out you're any saying this as that. a BIPOC person. Yeah, there's just no, there's no more rules to it. And 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 the. The best part is it was 122 million. Well, I don't know that this is the best part. It just it gets better and better. 122 million in grants to 65 nonprofits. And, and that's the, a lot of money. And also, what what I think is is really just fascinating about this this world of of of, of do gooders. You know, that's great. You want to do good, great. I mean, don't we all sort of have an intention? Yeah, you on hear some nonprofit level? and you think they're they're doing uh, the God's work. Mm, right. And so uh, the, that is the marker of success is that they spent, they gave that money away. That's wrong. The marker of the success should be how was what the was money the spent? Outcome? And, and what, what was, was the achieved? outcome? Did it work? But the city f- is, pats itself on the back because they gave the grant out. That job done. Hey, didn't we do a great job? We awarded this nonprofit who's only been in business a year, uh, and we never looked into the background of the single person employee owner of the not owner, but the single person who started this nonprofit a year ago to get this grant. Who we didn't look into their background, and um, the, that's what Mingus was talking yeah. about. Mingus suggested. That grant applicants, so this is from the same Willamette Week article. Mingus said these grant applicants need to be required to submit their 990s so that we can scrutinize their finances. And Hardesty said nonprofits applying for other city funds have no such requirement. Again, this is from the article. And she says there seems to be an organized effort to discredit the Portland Clean Energy Fund. There seems to be an organized effort to question every person of color who is getting a contract out of the Portland Clean Energy Fund. There are a lot of contracts that come through here that no one ever raises an eyebrow about. I believe that racism, now she's accusing a black man of racism playing a huge role in why every time a penny goes out of the Portland Clean Energy Fund, there is so much scrutiny. It's soul crushing. Is she that said. what she said? It's yeah, soul that's what she said. This is from Willamette Week, July uh, 2022. And as far as I know, Mingus's suggestion never got any traction whatsoever. Because in Portland, you say racism and everybody shuts up. Well, yeah, because nobody's ever had a black friend. So it's really, it's doubly scary to them because they don't want to be accused of racism because they don't even have anybody that's not white that's their friend so it's more scary to them if you've if you are BIPOC or you have grown up in that milieu and somebody calls you racist well you can be like okay maybe but like shut up you can imagine this sort of gray-haired lady that you know moved to Portland from California like 20 years ago and um you know because she couldn't hack it in California and came up here and she just really wants to do good so bad and um she just you know but she really has had no uh she thinks in stereotypes is is deep down scared of of black people it uh but is afraid to admit it and really what she actually really likes is like to go out on hikes with a bunch of other white people and like do the do, you know, do do her like protest march with a bunch of other white her people. Her pussy hat. Yeah, and it's just like this, you know, like this, and and put all the signs out on her yard, and like, you know, it's just this people who 
who, for lack of a better word, just whether they are intending to or not, love virtue signaling. If you really... If oh, everybody you, in this city loves if it. If you say you're That's being, our number one. That's our brand. Yeah. It's... So these type of people really have a hard time. They kind of fall apart if you call them racist. And... It's very effective. Yeah, it's very effective. And, and they, they use it constantly. Yeah. It's very effective. I mean, it's racist. It's... It, okay, so... But we should... I, I We should get back to this Energy Fund yeah. article. It's just so good. I mean, well, we we'll have a week. Sometimes they just really nail it. They and do. and this, so this says the, the the energy fund is funded by a surcharge, uh, as we, you pointed out astutely, on retailers with annual sales of a billion dollars or more in the U.S. and 500000 or more within Portland. Now, see, when this thing was voted in handily, everybody went, oh, yeah, corp- corporate America should pay its fair share. And I remember the detractors saying things like, you know we're just going to pass this on to y'all, right? You yes. know that. It's a 1% tax and then everybody on the people s- yes. selling you stuff. And the yeah. best part is everybody has started noticing yeah. at the bottom of their receipts, 1% added for the Clean Energy Fund. Uh, uh, so, like, you know, I, I'm like, I, when I pay taxes, like, which, you know, you have to do it. It's like the certainty in life and always has been. Well, I think most of us are happy to do it if we get stuff out of it. And also it's like at least. And and to help the less fortunate if they're helped. Exactly. Whether or not. We need a safety net. But where's the safety net here? Well, like with the feds, you know that your tax money is going to go to. It goes to the military. military. It goes to HUD. It It, goes to. It goes to Social Security. And it goes to welfare you know, which is fine, yep, whatever, yep. and it goes to Medicare and Medicaid. Federally we know subsidized the, housing, sure. We yep. know, we see that. But with these local taxes, which are getting higher and higher, it, we have less and less oversight, and it's less and less clear. I mean, you just said in two sentences what this 1% tax is for, BIPOC and and the environment. That's not like... With Medicaid, it's like, well, people who make below $17,000 a year get their health care. Well, that's pretty concrete. It's going to doctors. It's going to hospitals. Like, with the military, it's going to pay people in the Army. It's going to well, their, and, yeah. and unlike this, quote-unquote, clean energy fund, um, it's not like... I mean, we, we consistently have horrific air quality. I know a lot of that is because of fires. but And, and we consistently have... You know, all we do is litigate environmental damage. The Willamette is disgusting. Um, it's gotten better. It's gotten better, but you know the, that those environmental litigators—that's the Full Employment Act. If you ever talk to those guys about like the Superfund sites and all that other stuff, and it's a um, gift that keeps on. Giving. I mean, you look around <laughs> and all you see is garbage. Go, look around this city; it yeah. is nothing but garbage. There's trash everywhere. I don't see... This is not a clean city. Whereas, at least with federal taxes, uh, you see elderly people getting their health care paid. You see... they You you know that they're getting their Social Security yeah. ca- uh, checks. We know a military exists. Yeah. We can use our eyes and to ears to, to verify yeah. our results. But see, with this Clean Energy Fund, what where... where where the money goes, we don't even know. Where I suspect it's going is, I'll tell you, it's somebody who is like, you know, I find the working in the private sector really unfulfilling, and I really just want to do good. So I want to do good. Now, what I read there as a subtext is, I really want to do good 
for myself. I want to feel good. I want to also have a job. Um, and I want to pay the rent, but I don't want to like work really hard for a company and like go through that whole thing. So what I'm going to do is start a nonprofit. And then that's really cool because at nonprofits, like, first of all, this person will then be the boss <laughs> because it's a nonprofit of one person at first. And they can be the boss and they can be in control and they can have free lunches and they can um, expense a whole bunch of stuff and they can hire who they want, all their friends, and they can have meetings with city people and get patted on the back and they all pat each other on the back and they only work about 30 hours a week. Well, they're and treated with royalty it's status. awesome. It's awesome. Who wouldn't want that? And that's why you see that sector has exploded in Portland as the Portland government just doles out the cash to nonprofits. The nonprofit industrial complex. There are complex. so many nonprofits. And the thing is, most of them have been started recently. They're entirely grant-based. It's not like they're going out and hustling like donations from people like the United Way or whatever. No, these things live on grants. And most of them are coming from the, the local city of Portland. The city of Portland. The uh, Multnomah County yeah, Metro. And, Multnomah County. and of course, and Metro, that was yeah. exposed. The, the What's going on with Metro was exposed by Terry Preeg-Rigsby, who was running for a Metro Councilor position, and she was calling out that her opponent, Duncan Wong, who, of course, ultimately stayed in his position on Metro, and Terry, who I voted for and thought was fabulous lost. Uh, Duncan Wong is uh, one of the heads of APANO, which is an Asian affinity nonprofit. Apano, yeah, what do they do? I don't know, but they get money from Metro. Right. And, and there's another person. To lobby for other left, I, Well, left I don't, causes. I know that it may be a 501c3, but almost every, if you look into this, almost every single one of these 501c3s have C4 arms right. that do lobby. Yes. And, yes. They, and, they, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, Apano may be one of them. I'll look into that. I can't say that for sure. But generally, if you look at these Portland nonprofits, and I'm begging you all to do this and ver and just verify it for yourself, because I, I did it with no problem with a quick Google search. And and actually, Vadim talked about this. Vadim Mazirsky came on here to talk about no on charter reform. And he said, you you look look at these organ. Actually, what he said was, look at these organizations. He specifically talked about coalitions for communities of color. Okay. And he said, take a look at them, and and dig into them for a while because a lot of those people who are part of coalitions of community of color are were on the charter reform of committee. Of course, they were. And they uh, there were there was two hundred nine thousand dollars. He said in outreach paid for to paid for for the commission by the city and coalitions of communities of color formed a pack and they were doing outreach for the commission and then and then he also said Jenny Lee is the head of the C4 arm uh, for that coalition of communities of color and he said um, that that she's also the head of a city club committee he said it's the same organizations over and over and over again and and they all have they all have uh, C4 arms, and they all have their, their associated PACs, political action committees. And, and he says, you know, like Julia Meyer, city employee in charge of Charter Commission, president of Communities of Color, and on City Club. Yeah. He says it's the same. He said, you know what? You think the nonprofit 
mafia is out of control now, you just wait till oh, this charter reform passes. Well, okay, then let me, I'll, I'll, I'll walk us through that. How about Candace Avalos yeah. on, on charter reform commission? Also, director of Verde. Verde got a contract from the city to install air conditioners. And do you know what else they do? They did a, they, they organized a, 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 you know, one of those walkabouts where they knock on doors in favor of the charter reform. That's Verde paying for the free lunch and organizing the whole thing to go to to go and knock doors to get people to vote for the charter reform. Now, what does the charter reform do? The charter reform will allow for in our current system the there's a winner and the winner gets on the council. So the charter reform is going to have it be to where. The winner gets on the council. Well, the quote-unquote winner, who may have received 9% of the vote. Well, what I mean is I'm talking about our current system. There's someone who wins. Oh, I see. I see There's someone who wins, and that person gets on the council. The charter reform is going to make it so that there's the person who wins, they get on the council with one vote. Then the person who comes in second or third in our current system who would lose because, guess what, they didn't win. The majority of the population did not want them there. Those people, if they get enough votes transferred to them at second and third place or whatever, they can also be on the council and have the same vote as the person who actually won. So then you have people who would have lost in our current system because they did not win. Who did lose, like Candace Avalos, 9% of the, the vote. So she would have the same vote as somebody who actually won. And so what's gonna, you know, what that will mean then is that somebody like Candace Avalos would get a seat on the council, even though she would never become first. Get That's exactly first right. And so, what they're going to have is the sort of so Portland. It's like you know twenty five. At this point, I look at it as like 25, 30, 40, up to forty percent. Sort of what you might call the aspirational vote, the willfully naive. The kind of people who are like, oh, I would just love it if everybody was just like, you know, had a home and 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 they vote. You're talking about like the homeless tax. I'm talking about people who just like vote for somebody that says, I care, I care more, and I believe in they justice. They use all the buzzwords. I believe in justice. Climate, BIPOC, yeah. and I'm gonna make justice for BIPOC. Okay, so then people are like, there's about a third of this city Criminal who's, like, who's like, I don't need to know anymore. You're my candidate. Uh, and so they will vote for anybody who says, you know, I just care. I care so much. Like, I care for people. They care about people. the right buzzwords, right? Well, yeah, and the, it's this idea that some people care and some people are mean, evil, Republican people. Portland business people. So those people are bad because they don't care. And yet there's these people who They're capitalists. who say yeah. they care. They're colonizers. The the people who say they care are the ones that care. Like and so it's like I don't know maybe these people like forgot about uh growing up when you learn that just because somebody says something like those people who say hey I'm a really good person. You know when you grow up if you're taught well, you learn to be skeptical of people who say things like that. Hey, I'm a really good person. I'm a great friend. I'm like, you know, you, 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 you should look twice at somebody who says that because it could be bragging. It could be false. It could be projection. There's a lot of problems with people who say, hey, I'm better than that other person. I'm a better person morally. Like we are, should be suspicious of that. But 
people seem to have forgotten that. So there's a segment of our population in Portland who will who will just vote for somebody that says, you know what, I just care a lot about justice. I, I think the majority. Yeah, and so there's there's no nothing else needed other than saying that you care more. And so what's going to happen is these candidates like that um, don't really offer any kind of practical solution, but really act like they care. Um, are going to have the same seat on the council as somebody who might actually win because they're offering concrete solutions. Right, as somebody like yeah. Mingus who ran on actual charter reform. You know, who has some sort of practical idea. Because let's be honest, you look at Sarah Iannarone or, or some of these people, or even A.J. McCreary, when you look at what they put out there as a platform, it, it is very light on specifics. And it's very light on on practical solutions and 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 acknowledgement of reality and the difficulties of complex problems. They offer very simplistic, almost aphorisms, like you see on the yard signs, to solve complex problems. And that's not realistic. But those type of people win in Portland, and. Or at least they're going to come in second. So now when we're going to have When did that culture start? When did that begin? You know, I remember that this city had a lot more practical leadership. Uh, it seems to have gotten really bad in the last 10 years. You know who I just met last night? I didn't even know. It's screwy. I, I'm terrible with my, as a native, I'm terrible with my Portland history because during my formative years, I spent a lot of them in the armpit of Seattle because we moved when I was in middle school. But uh, I just met last night David Reinhard, who's the who's a former editor of the Oregonian and has since moved away to Pennsylvania because he just couldn't take – he just thinks Portland's lost its uh, mind. Hi, I moved too. Right. I can't handle it. I mean, you went all the crazy. way to Goa. He just went to Pennsylvania. But, yeah. he, you know, he said he, he's a conservative. He, he's an unabashed conservative. And a total sweetheart, one of the nicest guys ever. I had a fabulous conversation with him and was completely humiliated that I didn't even know that he had, that, that he had run the Oregonian for, for as long as he did. And I asked him when he thought it started going under, because I, I wasn't, I loved being in Portland, especially as a young professional in the early 2000s. I was completely in love with this city, and I was in love with my life in this city. I still think about it and uh, nostalgically, and it was I, better. I then. was not paying attention to local politics because I was very happy. You there was no reason for it, me to exactly. And so I traced it to Charlie Hales because that was when that was the first time I started looking around and seeing a, deter a, a market deterioration of the city. Well, that happened almost overnight because he it suddenly did. stopped moving people along from camping in park. Right, as he called yeah. it, safe sleep. Right. And I remember him saying... So not safe, though. So people not safe. Yeah. And, and at the time, <laughs> by then, I was an adult, and my dad was a... I don't know if he was... I think he had died, but he was he was a completely out of control, mentally ill, uh, not on drugs, but completely out of control, mentally ill, homeless... Sister on drugs, homeless, no, no, fam literal, literally immediate family members not in their right mind. And I remember him saying, "Well, it's safe sleep at night, and then the deal is when, when it's daylight, they're going to pack up, and then we'll just go about our business in the city." And I remember him saying that, and thinking about my dad, and my sister, and thinking, 
they're they're not capable. These people aren't capable of that. That's not. There is no way that's going to happen. There's not going to be any packing up. And sure enough, there was no packing up. And then this, it, it, it all happened really fast. It was like all of a sudden, all of the sidewalks were filled with encampments. It was bizarre. It was almost like it was overnight. And they weren't leaving. And then you tried to roll it back. And they said, we're not leaving. And that pretty much brings us up to date, as far as I was concerned. And Reinhold... Reinhard, David Reinhard, agreed with that, this ex-editor of the Oregonian, but he said, you know what, it actually started before, he said that it was, there was a gradual culture shift that he thinks began after Mayor Vera Katz left. And so I was looking back into Portland history just actually this morning when I was um, texting with a friend who has a brain and has also since left, and proudly sent me his voter registration card marking, I am no longer a Portland resident, and I, or I, I am no longer an Oregon resident and never intend to return, uh, which made me happy for him, but sad for myself. <laughs> and um, I, I think the next mayor was Tom Potter. And what's interesting about Tom Potter is he had been the chief of the Portland Police Bureau. Now, that's hilarious today. The idea that the chief of police would be our mayor. I mean, that's just untenable. That's a non-starter. But he was. He was our mayor in Portland from 2005 to 2009, and he had been the chief of Portland police. But he began, the, according to the reading I was doing this morning, and I think David Reinhardt is right, he began that Tom Potter, this former chief of police, believe it or not, began this cultural shift to the left. He, he uh, for instance, he, he, he didn't like the black uniforms of the police officers because he thought that was militarized, and he made it part of his campaign to rid the police of this, this militarized appearance. He was, he was really into bikes, so he kind of started, started a lot of this uh, prioritizing bikers, and he participated in something called the critical mass ride, which, as far as I know, we don't do anymore. I think it's just called the naked bike ride now. And it's just well, crit- critical mass used to be every week. So, but we don't. Do, it was monthly, or apparently. Month. Yeah. Um, but he, so he took part in it, and people were upset because he was blocking street traffic and violating traffic laws, and so people were upset that their mayor was engaging in this. In, in what they saw as lawless activity, but that was celebrated by the bike community, see? And it was celebrated by the bike activists. And I thought that was so interesting. He, oh, he also withdrew the PPB from the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. Um, and, he, and, he, and he accused, May, May 2006, I'm just reading from Wikipedia here, it says that he accused the FBI of re- attempting to recruit an informant within the Portland city offices, going so far as to have his city hall offices search for listening devices. Um, widely credited for emphasizing diversity and making city hall more accessible to underrepresented communities, which, you know, of course, that's great. Um, it sounds great. What does that it really sounds mean? Great. Uh, he, he's the one who turned Southeast 39th into Cesar Chavez Avenue. Right. So isn't that interesting? And I think David Reinhardt is right. I think after Vera Katz left... That is when we began our cultural shift, and hilariously, we began this shift to the left with a former chief of Portland police, which today would be a non-starter. We have gone so far left that Tom Potter looks like Trump compared to what we've got going on now in terms of our leadership. I mean, 
we've gone so far left that there's it's an actual debate whether we should have a police department. That's right. Or that's exactly right. It's an actual debate as to um, should. I mean, it, it, it's very far left. But I, I whether people should go to jail at all, yeah. whether 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 people who are homeless should go to jail, well, whether people who yeah. are on drugs should go to jail, whether people who are mentally ill should go to jail. You, what you have is, is a lot of uh, leftists um, think that the criminal justice system and is exists only to punish, and that people who want to put people in jail, That's their exactly motivation right. is that they want revenge. But they 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 seem to forget that one of the reasons is is that you say, for example, some of these people we have in Portland who, when you you know, when they have finally gotten into some serious trouble for for you know randomly injuring somebody grievously on the street and then you go and you see that they had been arrested for punching random people like six times before uh which is not the kefir whites or or of course you have the muhammad adan case where he he's he's got felonies he's accused of of strangulation and then of course the community bail fund lets him out yeah and i went to high school with that girl um oh my gosh with rachel no with the the Community Bell Fund. Oh, that's right, starter. Trujillo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Amanda Trujillo. Yeah, but uh, who is white? It turns oh, out, and I actually did not know she's, that. She's she's Lily White. Uh, but uh, the thing, so like they forget that one of the, like you say, one of the reasons that you have that the person needs to go to jail is that that they're punching people on the reg randomly. So like you don't want to have that in your city like and i'm sorry yes if 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 society had been better and this person probably was abused as a child uh if that had not happened and somehow we could have prevented that then that would be a better outcome but you can't have people who are getting arrested for random attacks like uh and just let them out every time so it's like the reason is is because you want to prevent them from attacking people, not because you're so mad at them and you hate them. Yeah, this you know? this guy's yeah. name is Rafael Mangal. That's a, that I was forgetting his name, but his last name is spelled M A N G U A L, and he's suddenly everywhere. Um, but that's his argument: criminal in, criminal injustice. He's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he's head of research for policing and public safety initiative. And that yeah, that's his argument. That we're we're, we're forgetting about all that. And you know, Rene Gonzalez's argument, which I He's so he he just speaks such common sense, and I I've been living here and is ensconced in Portland. I don't know how he's been able to speak common sense to Portlanders, but sometimes things he says sounds sound revolutionary. They they sound like revolutionary thoughts to me when really they're just common sense thoughts. But they haven't occurred to me in so many years because <laughs> I live here. And he said, "We've forgotten about the victims in these crimes." And I sat there for a minute, and I—it sounded revolutionary to me. But I, of course, that's true. I, and and I would never have been able to articulate it because I am so stuck in decarceration language, and I am so stuck in that l- criminal justice reform language that I too forget about crime victims. Well, we don't talk about that. It, it, it's, it, it's also with this homeless debate. Like, for example, you know, just the thing where they just had comments on the mayor's plan, the, the con, you know, the, the testifiers are like, 
you clearly didn't talk to homeless people when you came up with this plan and you're not paying attention to the homeless people and blah, 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 blah. It's all about the homeless people. But it's like, again, we have forgotten about the, the victims that we've... It's your yeah. letter. You, yeah. you articulated it in the letter that I read, the Lentz Neighborhood yeah. Livability Letter. When you say victims... You're, you're talking about the neighborhoods that have been overrun. Yeah. That, that's why if we have featured so many people from Lentz on this podcast. That is one of the main neighborhoods. That, that and Laurelhurst, um, I would say, are two of the main neighborhoods that have been overrun by crime, open-air drug markets, lawlessness, chaos, shootings. It's these, they're, the residents are being housed and unhoused, frankly, are being traumatized. 24-7. Yeah, and so it's not like we... And, and you we're know, not talking about it. Well, because... The, because We're the, not allowed to. The dialogue the, 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 the dialogue that's put out there is is heavily driven by the activist crowd. So if you look at who testified at the at the meeting, you know, they Joanne Hardesty complained that that business interests were, were allowed to speak first at this thing. But half of the testimony at the uh, uh, meeting about the homeless plan was homeless advocates. And it's like, the thing is, is that there's 650,000 people in the city who are not homeless. Half of the testimony is, is, is already by and for homeless people. And they're still complaining that, that nobody's paying attention to them. They've completely lost perspective. And that's the problem. It's, it's, there's a delusion there. There's also a whole lot of narcissism. So you were, you know, so you were talking about when did the city change? I tend to, uh, I was a history major. I tend to. Well, we should talk about your pedigree because it's incredible. You went to Williams and you went to UCLA law school. Those are two of the hardest schools to get into in the country. I mean, your, your, your intellect is incredible, but anyway, go ahead. You were a history major. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a debate as to, you know, what, whether history happens from the ground up or, or it's, you know, uh, driven by leaders. And I think you can make the case for both. And so it's probably somewhere in the middle, you know, obviously, uh, someone like Hitler probably drove a lot of the things, but some things are ground up. And I would argue that Portland, what has happened also along the, you know, that around the time of Mayor Potter or whatever, you have uh, what we have going on in Portland now is it is very attractive to a certain type of person who moves here. First of all, right within the city limits. I mean, how many people were actually born in this state? I don't even know, but it gets lower and lower all the time. When well, you're, we decided you're what you're a sixth generation on Oregon native yeah. on your dad's side, Indian, you're Indian. That's on your mom's side from India, which is why you're living in India. Part of why you're living in India now. And that's familiar to you. But I, I, I think I was telling you I'd never met it's I mean as I'm only a third generation I'd never I don't think I'd met a sixth generation Oregonian except for you yeah I mean it's pretty rare and they certainly most most people that have deep roots in Oregon have no interest in living in Portland um you know you talk about why do you think that is because it's I mean, it's a shithole now, but why do you think that was no, true before they'll tell you and even before it was a shithole they would tell you that because they can't stand the politics Really? You think even like what what, you go what to about Lowell in the eighties? What about in the what what about pre pre Potter? What about in well, the eighties? What about in the I know all I are know Are you saying this is relative you're you're saying relatively recently? All I know is my own experience on that particular topic, which is to say my dad is from Willow County, which is like the far northeast corner of 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 um 
Oregon. And everyone there and my relatives yeah. and everyone is like, can't stand Portland. They so, want to secede. So, so part of it, uh, is that, is that, uh, well, part of it is they're not heard. I they, mean, part of it is we live in a city state, and right? They, they think it's crime. Uh, there, there's quite a bit of crime, which there is. Uh, and, uh, the other thing is like they had, Wallawa County had a school trip once and my relatives still talk to this, that a school trip, uh, from the high school, uh, and I think it was Enterprise High School, came down to Portland, and one of the um, high school kids uh, started uh, got an argument. I don't know why they were on 82nd. This was back in the 80s or 90s. The guy got shot and killed. And so ever since then, you know, they think that Portland is, is crime-ridden, which it is now. It wasn't as bad before. But it's also the politics. I mean, it's just they, they, they just cannot relate at all. Like the can't, and I can't even relate it that much anymore. Yeah, and you're a gay it, Indian. Yeah. I mean, it's just really hard. <laughs> you think you think yeah. you're you're our, I mean, you're our market. Yeah, for but this language, it's getting too extreme and for that. And then let me tell you who the who the who the people putting this out are are not even usually uh, BIPOC. They're white. The yeah. most well, extremist, Portland's majority white. Yeah, but but yes. The yes. most extremist stuff that you hear is usually coming Sarah from Anarone. Yeah, is usually coming from people who are totally white. And it is Joanne Hardesty staffers. Yeah, Joanne Hardesty staffers and the bike all, people. The bike people and the 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 Antifa types. The Antifa, are, are, all are, the Antifa they're people. Almost all white. The, the hundred yeah. plus nights of riots. Those yeah. were, those were all whitey. And I was down there. I went down to the riots probably twelve times. 12 Why did you do that? Because I wanted to see what was going on. What did you see? Uh, I saw a lot of stuff. I was down there a lot. Why were you down there a lot? Because I was very curious. But I mean, over and over? I mean, isn't one night enough to get the briefing on what's going on? Um, why did I go a bunch of times? I found it very compelling to see that level of... Um, what is the word for that? Just, just, uh, it's something I, I just was like, what the hell are these people doing? Like, and, the, and let me tell you something about it too. You found it compelling. So it was almost like you couldn't believe it. And then you went back to, to, to I went back because you couldn't believe it. it is was, that, was that it? You had I, to see it enough times was, to really let it sink in. I was fascinated. Uh, and, and you and Nancy Rommelman. Yeah. I just was fascinated. I, I just was like, what is this? And, and, and the thing is, is like, um, you know, it was like, uh, I remember like the, the second night I went, George Floyd died one night. And then the, 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 the second night I, right. I went down fast. there, the first night I went, it was the first night I went down there and I saw them, you know, trying to light the, the, uh, the courthouse Federal on fire, courthouse, yeah. uh, both that and the justice and center. The, yeah. the real problematic thing was the justice center because there were people in jail in there That's and they're right. lighting the building on fire. And staff. Yeah. Staff, but also, you know, their peeps yeah, in right, jail. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I'm like, so then Tina Kotek comes out the next day and, and, and prompted probably by her staffer who was a regular riot attender, uh, this Indian, this I think she person. was arrested. She was. And so Tina Kotek comes out there and says, you know, like the, that the, it was police brutality. And I remember I was like so pissed. I was like, I, uh, I wrote her a letter to her office and they actually got back to me. I was like, you know, if you are so out of line, I was like, 
I'm going to like donate to your opponent the next time you run. And then they called me and they were like, what's this all about? One of the staffers was like, what's this all about? Like, what do you mean? And I was like, let me explain it to you. I was like, I'm going to write you a letter to tell you exactly why I am so offended by her comment. And she never made another comment like that again. I, I wrote him a letter and I was like, I remember. The, the Kotex, you're Kotex. talking about Kotex's comment about how this is all about police brutality. Kotex made a, made a, was it a tweet or something where she goes very early on, I think it was, after, you know, very, very early on, she said she, you know, she had watched a video and it looked like the police were brutalizing the protesters. And I was like, hold on a second. And I was like, I've been down at these things many times I don't know when it happened because by that point I had been down many times and I was like let me tell you what because she goes she goes I think she said I was like people say that the police should be picking out the people the violent people out of the crowd and arresting those people rather than like pushing them all back or or using crowd control techniques and I was like let me explain to you how it actually is down there because I don't think any of you have any been anywhere near these things there's a tightly packed group of people. It would be impossible to get in there or figure out who was throwing the lighted objects. And you have these, the, the real agitators are mixed in there. There's no way to pick them out. And everybody is on board with it. It's not just one or two people. And so they're well, all... Wasn't that part of Schmidt's argument? Working like, together. I can't prosecute these people. I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to move forward unless I've got a vi- viable evidence of v- like person on person violent activity or whatever, because I can't, I, I don't, I mean, to his yeah. credit, I don't know how you would identify. Well, what he could have done a lot better job. Well, of for, course he could have. But yeah. when I really think about the logistics of it, I mean, do you arrest exactly. literally everyone? You will, and so the police were like, look, we've got to push these people. I mean, away I think what you do is a city curfew, but push, they didn't yeah. do that. Or, or they should have done that. Don't announce that, that, that you're not going to prosecute anyone. Right. Right. Yeah. That would be uh, good. But like, you know, so the city, right. the, the, the <laughs> you think that had an effect that probably had an effect. Uh, yeah. And yeah. The, 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 the I'm letting 90% that, of them go. That's what the evil business holders, uh, business owners told him, right. At, 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 there was a big, there was a scandal yeah. on Twitter because they were like the business owners told him, you know, that he shouldn't like have, uh, was that the meeting at Arlington club yeah. with Schnitzer and yeah, yeah, Doug yeah, yeah, Hauser? Yeah. 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 So Antifa was like all over that. But the thing was, is it's like the police at these things, it was like during the day, everybody was like, just, you know, sort of protesting. And then, and then as night fell, stuff would get crazy. And that's usually when I left because I was like, dude, I want no part of this. I don't even want to like, you know, I was working here during the day and shit was crazy during the day. I watched a guy get beaten half to death. I I thought he was going to get killed with a skateboard. Just walking. I was just walking to the bank. Yeah, I mean, what well, I'm talking about more where the actual, no, I know the mob stuff, the that was protests happening right at night. in fr- yeah. right at the with the yeah. commercial munitions being thrown at the courthouse. That that wasn't happening until night, but shit was crazy during the I, day for the, sure. Like, here. They will. It was very dangerous. And and, the, and then what I told what I told the staffer Tina Kotex staffer, I was like, you need to take a more nuanced approach to this. I saw them break a window in the courthouse and light it on fire from the inside, like an occupied building. And I'm like, you're siding the state courthouse. You're siding with those people. Like I'm like against the police when they lit an occupied building on fire from the inside. What was their response to that? She was like, uh, 
they were very accommodating to my comments, actually. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and you notice that she never made another comment like that again. I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard her talk it, about it. it well, she only made that one. And, the, and I believe the reason is, is she knew that her career, imagine if she had made multiple comments like that, she would not be doing as well. Because uh, outside of Portland, everybody else... And that's what I was telling her. I was like, you are an idiot if you want to... You want statewide office. Uh, You're right. Yeah. Uh, and so she stopped. Not saying Wow, I she should have hired you her. as a political consultant. Uh, but like, the I don't know how I got on this. But yeah, it was just like the... the what were we talking about? But those things were... I went down there a lot because... Yeah, I was just fascinated. And there were a, a huge number of really violent people there who had no concern for the fact that they were trying to light these buildings on fire and who were horrible to the police. And uh, it was just really a shit show. I mean, it was just, it was, it was human depravity. Like how could you treat well, we were another talking human about white being people. like that? What we were talking oh, about yeah. is how the narrative in They're Portland. All, white. Yeah, the all those people were white. This fringe left culture in Portland is framed by white people yes, and, and how an example of a big group of white people that is framing fringe culture is Antifa. And if you look at uh, how Antifa actually s- split kind of with the black people involved in the protest movement, the black people involved in the Portland protest movement are more reasonable, like in their, in their, they're more, they're more realistic and they're more, they're less extreme. And they've split. I mean, they're not really on the same side anymore because Antifa is the one that's really extreme and they're paranoid. And here's where I was going with this. What I believe happened is those types have moved to Portland. They're a, they're very narcissistic. Like what I mean is, is that their lives consist of spending time alone online on Twitter, creating an identity. So a lot of times it's something that involves trans. So they do this kind of trans look I don't, they're not, they're non-binary. They actually do not feel like, like the opposite sex. They're, it's, it's a, it's a look in my opinion. Um, and it's. That rings true. I don't, I've never heard it articulated Some people, I had a client once who was non-binary and that was legit. But, uh, but for, for a lot of these. So you don't think, see, I see, I, when I see, uh, when I, when I was seeing Antifa out and about, at least during the day when they were relatively quiet and just doing their barbecues or whatever. Yeah. Um, their jail support. Right. <laughs> their jail support and their bail funds. And look at how well that turned out. Yeah. And it's obviously continuing and it is just, uh, now I'm not one to speak for, you know, the whole trans issue is a really different thing. My personal opinion and there's a lot of it stems from childhood trauma and that, and trans people I've talked to, it's not always about the fact that they actually are the opposite sex, but that there is um, a desire to uh, change something. They hate their own body, and, and that's a path that's kind of well-worn. Well, I had uh, so I have a friend who is trans, and she's been on this show, and she in her episode she talked about, we were just kind of talking, she called it trans trending. And she's, she is very proud of how feminized she is and she's very disdainful of male to female trans people who are not feminizing 
yeah, to like her they standards. Have, they have a beer. That bothers her. Yeah, you'll see them in Portland a lot. Oh, I told yeah, her they're yeah. all at New Seasons. Yeah, there's like a beard and then the long hair. And she literally, she said exactly really what you just said. Dress. Yeah. She said exactly what you just yeah. said. I might even be able to pinpoint the timestamp because I'll never forget it. She said, I'm sorry, if you if you have a beard and a dress on. An ugly dress. She, she, she felt like, yeah, right. She felt like it was uh, ruining her credibility. It is, and 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 she felt she felt like it was a insult to the work that she was putting into feminizing herself, and then and then we started talking about what she called trans trending, which 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 now that I have a middle schooler, I'm seeing quite a bit of. Uh, but it began, it began really with her peers in elementary, believe it or not. Yeah, and I think there might be more than one path. Like I was. Oh, uh, of course there. Are. I was. Just, of course there are. And I've, I think yeah. gender dysphoria is real. I, I think my friend Bev really, for her, she was going to kill herself. She had to become a woman. I absolutely believe a hundred percent that her story is true. I, I, I should do some mandatory throat clearing before. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, but I mean, and it was sort of tangentially related mm-hmm. to what I was talking about. But I do, I do think that. Um, uh, that there's an element of, um, so back to the, I, I find the trans stuff fascinating because we it, all do yeah, apparently uh, right uh, now, uh, but, uh, the, yeah, Antifa. So anyway, the point is, is that what do I was, do you think Antifa in general is a non-binary group? No, I think you don't, I don't, I think, I think, you know, I know, you know, they have all, their faces all covered whenever I've seen yeah, them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and 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 I've seen them on but Twitter. Black block particularly. There's all the well, the, the sweatshirts and the masks. The black block really is the antifa. Right. Like, uh, the the rest of the people that were down there at the protests were who weren't in black block were most of them were legitimately upset about racism, whether that was misguided. No, I think or that's not. right. Yeah, but um, and they would clear out at once darkness happened, uh, but. What I think has happened to Portland is that a lot of these young people have moved in here. They're very narcissistic. They're 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 heavy drug users. They spend a lot of time alone. They're very introverted. The, most of them suffer from uh, depression and or anxiety. Do you think any of these are these in? I mean, I know incel is seen as more right wing, but do you think any of these are like left wing style incel type people? Well, because I, I when you say alone and introverted, that just I just I just thought incel. Well, I, don't know I, why. I mean, with that kind of bad attitude, I can't imagine that you have a great love life. But uh, I'm not sure how incel they are. But what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is, is you were talking about Tom Potter, yeah, and I'm saying there's there there's a the move to the left. There, there's a there's a, a groundswell portion of it too, like a, like a popular thing. What happened is, is we the population of this town like got switched out. Like I remember, I remember leaving and I was in California and then India for like 15 years. I'd come back off and on. It's gone. It's gone on since the nineties through to now. And I remember when did you come back? I came back to live like in 2012 or 2000. It was really different by then. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, mom, the population of this city has been switched out. Like everybody that I knew is like in the burbs are gone and there's like a whole new crew here. And what I think happened is, is that it skewed way young, a lot of young people moved here 
and they're very narcissistic. Well, that's when the yeah. Portlandia show started, yeah. right? And they said it's where young people go to retire. Yeah, and they're. I very, mean, it was literally a commentary on the culture shift towards and, that. And they're narcissistic, which has a lot of things that go along with it. That it's a propensity to anger which is deeply connected with narcissism. And we see that. We see that the that this is an angry leftist response. Like, it's a, it, what we're talking about, there's a lot of anger involved. They're mad at somebody. It's Republicans. It's, it's, it's capitalists. It's colonizers. They are vi- white supremacists. And narcissism, proud go- boys. narcissism goes along with victimhood. They are a victim of capitalism. They are a victim of right-wingers. Those people have ruined the world and ruined life for them. Landlords. They're ruining the environment. Landlords are are ruining, you know, are making the rents high. Even though, you know, what these people don't realize is like, hon, you got to get out of town. Rents are high everywhere. If you compare rent to what people make, we actually don't have it that bad. In India, the rent is like... People can barely afford it, so that's why they have to live with, like, in the sh- in a shack. Like, or if you go to um, all these other cities where, like, you know, um, you know, they're like, we should be able to live near a, a public transport station in a dense, walkable neighborhood and entitlement, affordable rent. Entitlement. And it's like, have you been to Paris? Have you been to Tokyo? Have you been to Seoul? The rent ain't cheap. And 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 is that like? capitalism's fault i don't know because it's everywhere in right. the world the rent is high like, right have you ever tried to live in venice and those <laughs> and those i don't mean yeah, california either right. but we well, could both, include california both. we could include california i mean at least in california your your salary is better and that's the thing these people don't even realize right. it's like it's like in many of these places like in europe and asia their salaries are half what ours are yeah well the the, the, and the, it, rent the rest is, of it goes to taxes and the rent is more no i mean even the base salary right, is half right 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 well, I they're mean, just not as they're they're just not as rich. Incomes of a are not as high, That's right. right? But the rent and the, the stratification isn't like it is but here. But the rent is often more, right? Right. And so these, but these people are victims, right? And they're narcissistic, and they, you know, do their look is so important. And when you see them on Twitter and T- stuff, tell like, me about the look. Well, the look is so important to Portland. I agree, leftists. but talk, yeah. I talk about yeah. it. Like the look. I mean. There's such a focus on the personal style, yes, like, and uh, the and and you know where the the clothes are sourced from, and and the you know if they're wearing makeup, the makeup look is really overdone, like heavy like eyeshadow on some of the people who want to be more bright trans. colors, yeah, bright colors or like you know the piercings, like you say, and then, and then there's just such a focus on. It's the same thing, you know, with the the pronouns. I mean, you look at the social media bios; it's got this like long list of "I am this, I am that." And guess what? Nobody fucking cares. But it's like um, you care, and you think that other people care, but they don't, and you know that on some level, and that makes you deeply unhappy. Like, but the, you know, this long list of identity markers, like. Um, it's all very narcissistic. Like the look is just so it's trying to be unique, right? I mean, they're really trying hard to be somebody. They don't, they for sure they do not blend in. It, well, but they do because they kind of all look that because way. they all look yeah. the same. Yeah. And that's the, that's the joke of it, right? That you're, you actually, you have, you all look like misfits 
And once you all look like misfits, you all start to look the same. And then the people that stand out are people like you and me. Yeah, because then you and you all come to Portland. And 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 so that and, and, and that's what I'm saying is it's like people are moving here from all over the country, at least they were, that are of this type. And that's why we've had such a concentration of this far left ideology more than San Francisco. San Francisco has still has a lot of people who care about money. They really want it. And they make a lot of and it. And they make a lot of it. And Same we don't have Seattle. that here. We don't have that. What we have is these people. Yeah. That's right. And people who want to make a lot of money, they don't move here. No. Because they want to keep their money. What we have, you know who moves here? <laughs> and we have the highest income tax in the country. They're, they yeah. don't care to move here. Oh, it's it could get worse if it doesn't get better. I think because, it will get yeah. worse. Because what we have is these people move here and they're like, they're like, I don't like capitalism. I'm moving here for the lifestyle. They're not moving here for a job. They move here. They often don't even have a job. And guess what? It's so hard to find a job in Portland because everybody's looking for one because nobody actually moved here with a job. And like all these young people I'm talking about, even the older, I mean, even more couple type. I'm trying to figure that out. Are they looking for one? Because every business owner that I talk to says they cannot find anybody to work no matter how much they pay them. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. They were looking for us for servers and, and they were looking for cooks. And they said, I, you know, I'm willing to pay these people like 25 to $30 an hour and I can't find anybody. Yeah. Because they don't want that job. So what, how are these people, do you have any understanding of how these people are living? I mean, my, my I, I know some unfortunate colleagues who have children who have fallen into drugs and failed to launch completely and totally and, and are living on government assistance and in, and the, the, uh, unfortunate codependence of their parents. But besides those people, how, how are these other people, like how are these people who are moving here without parents to support this lifestyle? How are they surviving? Do you have any understanding of that? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a mixed bag. I mean, in generally, there's a lot of leftists moving here. Some of them have better work things going on, and some of them don't, like the Antifa types. Uh, those people uh, all live in house shares for the most part. Some of them have decent jobs, uh, but a lot of them, you know, they just try to keep their expenses really low, and they work at places for a few months um, and then take breaks and uh, they just keep their expenses really low. They, they, well, if you, if you keep your expenses really low, you can make, I mean, you can actually generate a fair amount of money and live off that for a while. I mean, I just went to a pizza place the other day where a pizza, so what, there were three of us, two of them, two of us were little kids. It was me and two little kids and I didn't, I actually didn't have any of the pizza. And the pizza was like $40. And it said it was because everybody here gets paid a living wage. That was the, that was written on the wall. And I just thought, I I mean, I'm sure they did. I mean, a guy that was older than me and seemed like he was doing me a favor by handing me the pizza, um, was my quote unquote server. So yeah, I mean, I, I think sure. If you're making, between 25 and 30 bucks an hour and you do that and you and for a few months and you don't spend any money and your pastimes consist of getting on Twitter, blasting people and 
and shooting munitions at the federal courthouse and, and breaking Starbucks windows, then I guess you don't need to worry much about money. No, but you are really worried about money. Right. You're worried about demonizing people with the money. Yeah. It makes you really mad that there's people that there's people who have money and you don't, and you're really pissed about it. And then it's all lumped together. Those people are also responsible for climate change and yes. and, 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 and there's it's just all these bad people. They're driving cars. Yeah, and they're just bad people. There's all these bad people, and they are ruining it for the whole the rest, world. They, they, yeah. They'd say, they're, yeah, the whole world. The world. They're oppressing, yeah. They're oppressing all of us because they're creating climate change and they're creating pollution and they're engaged in capitalism and they're making money off the backs of workers, which is causing, yeah. uh, I mean, you and I could script this with half a bottle and of land- wine in a half hour. <laughs> la- landlords are so evil, right? right. So Alex Zelensky, who oh, has she's a, good for a laugh. She, who is <laughs> really online. She tweeted interesting. So this was, uh, October 26, 2022. She tweeted interesting nugget. The first 20 or so people who testified this afternoon were business, travel, lobbyists, and realtors. Exactly what you just said, uh, this criticism of people testifying. Uh, Business, travel, lobbyists, and realtors who all supported the camping ban, we are only now getting into members of the public who registered to speak first. And then Tiana Tozer, who is a former Paralympian um, and a speaker, and my understanding is she's involved in this ADA this Americans with Disabilities yeah. Act lawsuit against the city about blocking sidewalks. And then, of course, as you know, I, I, I will get to her, what, how she responded, which was great. But um, as you know, one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is when um, the ADA lawsuit happens. And then what, what's as you and I know, what's called discovery starts. Right. So they they start getting to depose people. And they start asking for documents, and then the city has to come up with its defenses. And one of the city's defenses was Multnomah County bought tents for all these people. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? Did oh, you read that? I knew that was happening. I didn't know that. How did you know that? Because where are they getting these tents? I don't know from the do-gooders, from the houseless advocates, Maybe I'm just from very street cynical. roots. From I, you, I knew but that. did you know they were getting from the county and not the city? No. I knew that the government was giving them tents. Oh, my God. I don't... You're... Yeah, you're just way far ahead of where I am. Um, I think... Well, maybe... I'm cynical, though, also. I mean, I knew, I just knew it. I had no idea. And then the best part yeah. is, right, the city is then sweeping. Right. right quote, unquote, sweeping. And throwing it's not them away. Really, right. So we're paying for these tents, and then we're paying for the city to pick them up yep. and throw them away. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. And, we're, and we're, our tax money is paying these nonprofits to advocate to do things that we don't want. Like, it. What I, I mean, this whole nonprofit thing is just so corrupt. I mean, like, it's like we're we're paying our tax money for homelessness is going to fund these nonprofits who who. Sp- Spend that money on salaries for people who advocate for all of these antisocial policies that the average voter does not is it, not. They in are favor antisocial. Of. That's yeah. exactly right. So what what what's interesting is Tiana Tozer responded to Alex and said, having been at the council meeting, that's simply not true. I and my fellow 
PWDs, um, and that I don't know what that stands for, but uh, went before all the lobbyists and the realtors. So, I mean, she's basically saying, I was at the city council meeting and the, um, oh, people with disabilities, that's what she meant. I and my fellow people with disabilities yeah. testified before all the lobbyists and realtors. But what's being reported by the Mercury is that the the quote-unquote capitalists are the ones that are in charge of running the show at, at the um, during the testimony at, at City Hall, just like you said, which is exactly what you had said, it, that, it, it, that it, that was the criticism. But it, Tiana is saying that, that criticism is false. It, it, That's not even what happened. It isn't, but the thing is, is with you, I don't think people really realize how 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 much mental illness we're dealing with in this city. No, we don't. It, it's there's this mental illness is pervasive in 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 the advocate activist community as well. They do not perceive reality in the same way. How do you know that though? How do you know it's? I mean, I because how I, do you know it's mental illness? Well, because I can see the disconnect with reality. You gave an example right there. Uh, uh, in general, I see that. Yeah, there, there's the, definitely a disconnect with reality. That the, the, their narrative dynamic, it's like this grand drama that is being played out uh, between the forces of evil and the forces of good. And they fit that all into the narrative. So in it's their. It's very black and white. In their mind, like. Like, I remember getting into the brief time I was on Twitter, I'm, like, arguing with this Antifa person. I'm like, Joanne Hardesty has 6% support east of the 205. And he's like, you liar. You're putting out PPB lies and, and, and Portland Business Association lies. How dare you lie like that? That's where she, Joanne Hardesty is from East Portland, and that's her people. And it's like, in their mind, any time you say something that is not according to their narrative, you're a liar and you're a fascist and you're part of that. And, and so that's why I call it mental illness because it's, 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 uh, it, they're, it, well, a, they're extremely neurotic people. I mean, I've been there, but when I was living in Portland, just so I had to get out, I was getting more and more neurotic. Like I started worrying about my bedding having like uh, plastic fibers in it and I didn't want to sleep on it anymore. And I just started getting like, I had to have only organic food. And I was like, really getting really stoned all the time and like freaking out about the smallest little things like, and and only going to new seasons and get, I mean, I was just like getting so neurotic. Like, and how were you able to, what is it about you that enabled you to step out of yourself and go, this isn't healthy. Because it was becoming very obvious to me how unhealthy I was mentally. But how? But how? Because I was not... Because it seems like the rest of our populace is unable to break the spell. Because they're blaming capitalism. Whereas I was able to see that this issue lied within me. Like, my unhappiness, my neuroses were something that I needed to take care of. And, like, I... Okay, Maybe there's a way to stay in Portland and do that, but personally, what did you do? How did you take care of it? Uh, got out of Portland. You're this like sixth generation Oregonian. Then you go to the these really prestigious schools, and you become a lawyer. And then, so you're at, you're at UCLA Law School, which is a, like just in, incredible law school, very difficult to get into. 
and you um, and then why did you come back to Portland? I uh, came back to Portland because I didn't want to be in LA and um, I was considering um, a few things and then I thought you know I really liked Portland when I was visiting when I would come to visit my parents I always had a really good time because I came back here in 2011. Oh, okay. So, so I would, I was like, you know, I. Well, I, wait. So, did you have a gap year or gap years between Williams and UCLA? Yeah. Uh, like you must have. Four years. Three, okay. Because since years. we're the same vintage, yeah. I was thinking that you graduated law school in the early 2000s, like me, but 2005. no. 2005. Okay. So, you were just slightly later. Yeah. I, I, I was in. Yeah. Well, 2005, the city was still great. Yeah. And I had been coming back here. Uh, all through the 2010. And then 2000s. Were, you were living in LA then. LA, yeah. And then I And what were you doing? What were you doing? Uh, in LA, well, like uh, when I first moved there uh, before law school, I was just essentially just partying. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> What were you doing for money? I had a bunch saved up. Okay. I've always like saved it up and spent it and stuff. Like and so I just went down there and I was just like <laughs> Uh, making costumes and going out in Hollywood, and then and then I was like, shoot. What I, kind of costumes? I just made you know, all kinds of stuff, like a lot of a lot of like like gender bender type yeah, stuff. Yeah, like drag like kind of, of fun stuff, makeup, yeah, mm-hmm. and stuff. And and that was the scene back around. It was. That I remember that. Time. I had yeah. I had a my um, one of my best friends is uh, not LA, but, uh, he's a tenured math professor at Dartmouth, but he lives part time in San Francisco where his, his partner of like forever, I, I refer to him mistakenly as his husband all the time lives. And he, he was, he was into that scene. And so I would accompany him to all that stuff. Um, yes, that was huge in the, uh, late nineties, early two yes. thousands. Yeah. That was huge. All uh, not like, not just California, I think, I, I mean, Seattle too. I'm trying to think of where, but, but mostly California, LA, San Francisco for sure. Yeah, that was fun. It was really fun. I mean, even even like straight guys fun. were wearing makeup and stuff. It yeah. was just, there were, even the club that, my favorite club was called Makeup. Uh, That's one of the few times, I, I mean, because I've been in Portland and the Pacific Northwest so long and because I so don't fit into any of this culture or the way that people dress or look here, that I, I enjoyed being part of that um, scene with him and my gay friends in the late 90s and early 2000s that dress up glam. It was like a, it was Bowie almost, right? But yes. it was more extreme. It was like Bowie, yeah. It was a little more extreme, but it was mm-hmm. fun. It was like feather boas and... Sparkly, like 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 the makeup... Body glitter. The makeup had glitter in it. Yeah, you know, and it was like pastel colors. And, and I enjoyed yeah. all that in part because it was like the one time in my life that I felt underdressed and understated. Yeah, see, you, that's why I'm like, I, I mean, I know you have your roots here and stuff or whatever your things that you have to do your practices here but i'm like it's just like it's just like this town it's like the the look here too it's just not your look you're you know it's just not that might be the <laughs> biggest understatement anyone has ever made on this show it, that por- the look in portland is por- not my like, look and uh, anybody who who looks me up and knows me or all you have to do is look me up 
A hundred percent. Ugly chic here. Like it's not even chic. It's just ugly. ugly chic. <laughs> no, there's nothing chic about it. That's yeah. what's so upsetting to me. Well, there was a hot moment where the Portland style was what was in, you know, like the, the beard, the more the guy look, right? The hipster beard lumberman look. But that's not yeah. chic. That was uh, yeah. trending. That was trending. That wasn't yeah. chic. I mean, you didn't see... Tyson Beckford looking like I mean no. I think of men that I think of are that are chic like male models etc and, and you didn't Tim Gunn never looked like that no just a lot of like Joe Schmo guys that drink beer and have a beer they look like garbage yeah, yeah well that was that's the, I mean Portland the, it wasn't chic but it was definitely in I think it's still in yeah, it's still in they all still look like garbage well because you can be, it's a personal point of pride to look like garbage yeah and then it also can blend in with you just being a total slob so like, but th- yeah. see that in and of itself is performative because then you're not a capitalist you're not yeah. spending you're not making enough money to spend on clothes because you don't or, or your appearance because you don't care about superficial things like making money you care about uh bre- breaking destroying the patriarchy wearing your pussy hat Breaking yeah. Starbucks windows, bringing down capitalism, defacing Catholic churches, uh, r- rallying in support of abortion rights, and and you're so focused on what's really important yes. that that if you ca- if you deigned at all <laughs> to brush your hair, let alone um, I mean the amount of women my age who have just decided not only to completely and I'm talking about. It's part of. It is so in the culture here. I'm. Ta- I'm not even talking about Antifa people anymore. We can. You and I. Let's. We can just talk about our colleagues, people I see. I interact with professionally. Uh, the the amount of women my age who have just decided to completely let all of that go and um, throw throw on. And and now that you know you can do everything remote by phone. Even if you're a litigator, especially if you're doing really, if you're doing civil work, I mean, if you're doing criminal work, you got to put something on and show up. But I don't know if you remember this. During COVID, the courts were issuing edicts to attorneys telling them that they needed to get out of bed and get dressed. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. Yeah, that happened here in here in. Well, it's not going to be surprising to you, but it happened here in Portland, and they were saying. Um, you you need to be out of bed, you need to be dressed, and it needs to be professional attire. And I just remember reading that and thinking that that is so on brand that in this and can you imagine being the client of that lawyer? Your lawyer can't manage to get out of bed for for a Zoom call to 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 fulfill their ethical duty for you and zealously advocate for you. But the I'm just talking about mainstream people. I mean, the amount of even you know professional people many of whom make a fair amount of money who have just decided uh, to engage in this long gray braid with, um, uh, let's see, um, Crocs, um, uh, sandals, clogs, um, a a pair of, of nondescript pants that were picked up from an athletic store, but not athleisure wear. That's a completely different set of... Uh, housewives who live in the West Hills and spend their time at the Mac Club. Not athleisure wear, but but a sporting goods store sort of pair of pants that can come apart at the knee to turn into shorts at any given moment in case they decide <laughs> to go on a hike. And a fleece. And th- this is how they all dress. I mean, these are, these are our colleagues. Um, 
who, and, and like I said, some of whom make, make a fair amount of money, they also dress this way. And I, I think a lot of it is just, I, maybe part of it is to just blend in and not look, and not draw attention um, to yourself by, by color, continuing to color your hair and engaging in some attempt at youth. I don't know. Well, I mean, then the, there could be a number of reasons for it. I mean, it, it, some people might but it's view cultural. it as more honest. It is cultural, it is, though. Oh, well, yeah, it, it's definitely cultural. I mean, you know. I mean, I am counterculture. Here. Like, here. Yeah. Look, why, why do you spend that much money on your hair? Exactly. But see, that's why Bev and I, <laughs> my trans friend, Bev, that's why we do so well together. Yeah. Because we both enjoy it. Well, you capitalist. That's yeah, and Bev would yeah, and Bev would say that's where all of her discretionary income goes, and she I think that she might get a pass. Antifa might give her a pass because she's trans. Oh, of course she she gets a tra- she gets a pass if she's trans. On the surface, she would get a pass if she was black, but, but she's Asian, re- so she doesn't no, get she doesn't get that credibility. That doesn't get that high on the scale. And she's first generation. Uh, but they still wouldn't. I don't well, think they're going to give her any credence. The thing for that. is, is like it's Marxism has had a huge revival, like among the youth, and so what I mean by that is, is like this idea that that your that the world that individuality, like that that it's this matrix of 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 oppression. And, and, and you have different, you know, intersectionality or whatever. And all of these groups are, are more determinative of, of, of how things work than anything else. And, and that's the way these, frankly, pretty poorly educated young people in Portland um, have been taught to look at things. Because, you know, they've gone to like Portland State and where the professors even are poorly educated a lot of times in the humanities at least. And... Um, They've sort of half-assed imparted this this uh, postmodernist kind of Marxist view of things where you're supposed to categorize everybody, and like American cultural in general, it, it's all about money. And so they, you know, they, they the way they're looking at everything is just like, okay, so you're a whatever, and that makes you like this, and, and I'm that's a why whatever. They're so obsessed yeah. with their their Twitter yeah. bios and their I'm this this the pronouns and, this and, and the this. Ukrainian flag, yeah. And, yeah. And, and then you know I have all this, and that together is me, and that's my identity. Even though I bet a psychiatrist would look at these people and be like, they actually are really having a lot of trouble forming their identity. They really don't know who they are. And that's why they're grasping at straws. There's just a lot of mental illness in this town, and there's a lot of drug abuse. There's a lot of drug abuse. Yeah, but I'm saying even among the housed, like oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, my neighbors. I mean, I <laughs> I know. I'm not. Jo- I'm not even joking. This was it. There was a text exchange. These are ostensibly functional people. Some of them uh, are women who don't work, but some do. And, um, again, uh, you know, running, if they don't work outside the home, they're running a household with, they all have children. They're running a household with children. And there was a text exchange at one point where literally um, one of them said, uh, where's my kid? Does, Does anybody know where my kid is? And another person says, I think they walked somewhere like it was somewhere that was like it was starting to get dark and it was somewhere that was too far away for them 
to get back home in time before it got dark. And then they said, um, the, uh, one of the moms said, and this is just like a neighborhood mom text chain in um, what I think Willamette Week would call a quote-unquote Tony neighborhood. And, and they said, um, well, I can't go get them because I'm high. And, and the, another mom said, well, I can't go drive and get them because I'm high. Yeah. I mean, th- these are parents of, I mean, if you saw these children, you would never guess that their parents would be too high to go pick them up. I mean, they're incredibly well-dressed. They look impeccable. Um, their houses are, you know, probably worth a million bucks plus. And yes, yeah, you're exactly right. It's not the drug culture here. It extends Pervasive. from oh oh it, it, it's it's not this idea that the homeless people are the only people that are high all the time. I mean, come take a stroll in the morning, uh, you know, anywhere really anywhere in any neighborhood in Portland, um, or, or or evenings. Um, and if they're not high, it, it's not just drugs; it's alcohol. Oh yeah. I mean, the wine is flowing. And there, there's a there's a bar at the grocery store, so like, or at least right. There used it, there's to be. a yeah. well. There is at New Seasons. Yeah, yeah. you can just go upstairs, and that's where that's where we have all our meetings. You know, yeah. oh, we've got a we've, we're going to do a meeting for the school carnival. Let's go up to the to the roof on New Seasons and have about seven glasses of wine and and figure out how we're going to sell tickets to this thing. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just and and the thing is, anybody who tells me that like marijuana is not like a real drug, when you've got the buds have 30% THC now, like, or people are doing the dabs, which is like this crystalline pure THC that they Yeah, smoke. I don't know anybody do, admitting to doing admitting. that. But I do know yeah. people admitting to doing the tinctures, which I think are heavily concentrated. And I am telling you, now that I you mention it, you're so smart. Now that I really I think about it, I am telling you the majority of adults that I interact with on a regular basis are using marijuana. The majority. Yeah. Be- well, there's a reason why it got legalized so early. And that that drug culture, I think, is really um, pervasive. Like, and so... It is. It's, it, 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 and they're passing yeah. it out. I mean, they'll yeah. show up. They'll have a barbecue. They'll show up with it. You know? I mean, they're, they're handing it out to everybody. And, it's- and marijuana... Well, the kids are running around. I mean, it's just... Psychological effects of marijuana uh, are are dovetail with some of these um, these issues that I think it are related to the politics. Like, it, it, it can encourage a, a sort of inward look, which can get you kind of all wrapped up in your own... Is that part of this narcissism? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. See, you're smart. You picked up on that. That's what I think too. <laughs> is like, is like it. It can can put you in your own little world because I've been there, and and you you start to get really hyper self conscious about like your own look, and social media kind of l- sort of helps that. You take the Oregon bar, yeah, and you start practicing law, and you buy a house in Lentz, right? Yeah, and and. and when do you leave the house in Lentz? Because some, in your year. letter, you last said year. at some point you, you had to move out. Uh, last year I left. I think it was last year. Yeah. So it was 2021? Yeah. So you made it from the, so the siege years. on But also the siege on Lentz was around 2016, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, it got way worse. And the people are like, oh, like, Lentz has always been a bad neighborhood. And I'm like, no. It, I mean, okay. It's no, always, it's I think always, it was more working class, Yeah, right? and it was, and, and people were always like. I don't know that it was a bad neighborhood. People always, like, kind of thought it was, like, low, low class. But it was safe to walk around when I first moved Well, there. you could use the spring water. Yeah. And, and you could use the multi-use and, path. And, and, and when you walked around there, you didn't see all these shady characters, like, threatening you. Like, you, there was a noticeable difference in that in, in how safe it felt and at what, night. Yeah. yeah, and what Juanita Swartwood, who came on here uh, from the LNLA, said is that it was a lot of multi... It was people who had lived there for generations yeah. and people who had lived there for decades and purchased their homes before to the 205 was um, put Even in. before it was put in, yeah. And so that was when it was a real... It was a neighborhood. It was a community. It was not... I, according to her, it wasn't considered even necessarily a working class neighborhood. It was just a a maybe middle middle slash lower middle class yeah. neighborhood. And then of course they put two hundred five through there. And she said she said according to her that was sort of the beginning of the end of lens. And then the real stake in the heart was Charlie Hale's twenty sixteen Springwater Corridor. I don't even remember what how, how many homeless people she said were on there, but it was a, it was such an astounding amount. It made national news. I I mean I agree with that assessment. There are I mean you were saying like Laurelhurst. Laurelhurst has a bad time and it gets a lot of press because it's frankly it's rich people and there's a there's a strip of of right. of, of homeless people there. Lentz has hundreds hundreds of homeless people like because it's a big geographic neighborhood it's pro- i think it's probably the biggest neighborhood in town and it used to be a separate city and it did yeah was it what was the it city got, called next, was it called, it was called lens. lens are yeah. you serious yeah and uh that's way back though right i mean it's been a hundred years since it was a separate town but uh yeah, it just it. There's hmm. so many places where the homeless live in Lens because there's just so many little back corners and like little wooded areas and little the bike path has you know. It's, it's just, almost it's like, like you wish the city would have just left it left it alone because the problem is everybody in East Portland wishes that. Yeah, because the problem is according to like Juanita and Todd and Char and Dave and I'm sure you would agree with this. Everybody that we've talked to. We've, I mean, the show, me, really, have talk, has talked to from Lens, is that the city has so neglected Lens that it, it has been able to, this homeless population in the open-air drug markets and the criminality and the guns and the prostitution, and it has been able to spiral so out of control that now it's it's just this forgotten no-go zone, really. Well, I mean, it's so it depends on so Lens is like there's the there's the part of it where where, where my house is is the nicest part. The part where it's like is no, that closer to Mount Scott? It's the it's the part that is no, that's actually okay. If you have houses up on that hill uh-huh. by Mount Scott, that can be that you know nice because they have a view or whatever. But uh-huh. really, the nicest part of Lens is right around Lens Park. That's where you have the best part of it. Uh, once you cross to Foster, it get cross goes south of Foster towards Flavel. Flavel is like a really that area is not so great. So once you get to the south part of Lens, it's not so good. And then on the, on the other side of the freeway, 
is not so good either because there's all these RVs in there. Um, that's right. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, and just hundreds. all through there. There's just, that's what people, do, and that's what my letter was about is I was like, you people are so just, what is the word? Just rude, like mean, like you, we already have the most homeless people and you want to put even more right in the middle High of impact. It? Yeah. Like, High uh, impact yeah. homeless. And, Criminal and, activity. Yeah. And it's like right in the middle where we already have so much. Like, it's like, and then that, that was my point. I mean, I don't know, like you were saying, well, you know, the, there's only been one of those rest villages opened up, but when you look at where they want to put them. No, I know. There was, a, yeah. there was an article about it, right? Oregonian, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. It just maps exactly to the lowest income uh, precincts and parts of Portland, other than Southwest. Disproportionately. Where they put one. Yeah, yeah I mean, disproportionately, yeah. it was in low income because, areas. Because it's easier for them to, for one thing, the lower income areas have some more parcels that they could use. Like, like, you know, like your neighborhood, it's all kind of filled up, right? I mean, so like a lot of I it, see what you mean. There's more yeah, empty space there's or there's or there's more or there's lots. like a, there's a yeah. there's just a strip of concrete somewhere. Yeah. And they have so they have more spots. Plus, they always have this argument. Well, because you guys already have so many homeless we should put the more homeless there because that's what you know. That's they can, where they need. They can is. be with all their friends. Like I mean, essentially, like the, 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 then there's people are already used to providing services there, and so then they can all be right there. And then it's like the same reason that they locate all of the really low income housing out. It, 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 they're like, well, it's already all out there, and we have land. And it's like, yeah, but when you put all of the poor people together, that's when you get the high crime. It's happened so many times. I can't believe you guys are still doing the same old thing. I mean, look what happened to the South Bronx or the South side of Chicago. Like you put everybody and, and that's why you, it's not, not just neglect. That's not right. It's almost it's purposeful. It's purposeful. It's sabotage. It's purposeful. It's like, well, there's already so much garbage there. Let's put more garbage there because then at least we won't be having garbage in like nice places. We can just put it in the shit place. But according yeah. to, is this true? According to the guests from the LNLA we've had on, Lentz is actually one of the more multicultural neighborhoods in Portland. And it's hard to get a multicultural neighborhood in Portland. It's probably, I in my, my qualitative view, is that it is it is the most multicultural. Okay. Because, yeah. These are yeah. the people the city professes to care the most about. And they and it is. And 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 and, they, and yet they're sabotaging them. Well, yeah, and they spent all this money for the Lenstown Center. Like they wanted to try to make another Pearl District there. And they actually have done a decent job. But I'm like, why would you like you guys are doing you it's like like, yeah, but apparently a lot of those have closed down. Well, it's like they're, they're having a little trouble there, be- partly because there's so many homeless. Like That's what yeah, they said. That's what Todd just, Littlefield said. It's just like tough because it's so sketchy at night. And it's um, it's tough for them to revitalize it when there are, I mean, there are so many homeless. Like the people don't really realize it because it's not all super obvious. Like there's so many RVs, there's so many, uh, these uh, just tucked back into all those wooded areas. I mean, like, um, and there's camping just (laughs) people have camped in like 
all the back areas, like where the trees are. Oh, there's there, yeah. there, there's so many of them. They're camping on slopes. Yeah, like they're camping they're like, camping in places where you think the last place, uh, the last thing I would do on on this particular piece of land is set up a tent that I'm going to reside in and sleep on. And, and there'll be a tent there. Well, because they're in not, a ditch. They're not dumb. They want to go. But, they, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, the homeless are. OK, I'm just going to come out and say it, in my opinion. A Portland homeless are, are on drugs. But that doesn't mean they can't think. I believe that they're on drugs. Almost, almost if not all of the ones that are outside in tents are on drugs. Um because why would you, how could you live like that if you weren't on drugs? I mean, look at our climate. Use your eyes uh, and ears. Yeah. yeah. And um, so they don't want someplace where they're. Well, and I don't know that they all start. Like Kevin Dahlgren, who's been on here, who's cleaned up the city of Gresham, he'll say, like, they don't necessarily all start out on drugs, but inevitably that, yes, they, yes, they wind up on drugs. And then, and then it's mental illness. And then it's the confluence of both. And yeah, yeah. well, and then everyone around you is like, probably maybe they're shooting meth, but then they'll smoke it sometimes. And you'll be like, I don't know how you avoid it. I could smoke, you know, they're they're all passing the meth pipe around and you, how are you not going to do that? You're cold shivering. It's like 40 degrees outside. Yeah, they did. Somebody did a piece on this. It might've been Willamette week did a piece on meth and why it's such a thing in the homeless community. And they said, well, you know, they, 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 part of it is just personal safety. Like they, they're using it to stay up all night to keep themselves safe so that they don't end up being robbed of all their possessions or raped or, or maimed or killed or whatever. And then they end up hooked on meth. I mean, that could be part of it, but really, I mean, meth is a highly addictive substance that I don't know if you've ever done meth, but I have. You have? And yeah, and it feels great. I stopped. This was when did wo- you do meth? Many years ago, like back. Was like, So I know, so I've had, I had somebody on here, a uh, guy, um, he was great, from, from Oregon Recovers, Mike Marshall. And he was a recovering meth addict, and he, he's gay. And he said part of it was just, it was the scene. Um, it was part of gay, like yeah, gay, gay scene, scene that he was sure. in. It still is. It's way worse. It might even be worse now. It's is not that how the, you got into it? No, I didn't get into it. I'm not, I I'm sorry, yeah. not into it. Is that how you ended up trying I, it? What happened to me? Yeah, it was another, it was a gay guy in Portland, maybe around, around the year 2000. Uh, and at that time, it didn't have quite such a bad reputation, and I didn't care. I was like, whatever, sure, I'll try really? it. Really? Yeah, and then, um, well, it's like, uh, it's it does look like crystals compared to Coke, which is more, like, organic looking. But uh, it's, uh, unlike Coke, which is, like you say, expensive and uh, doesn't last that long, meth, like, you can do meth and you'll be, like, high for a whole day like and so it's like a it's it's a lot of bang for your buck and you mean like one whatever what like would you I, buy? I never i i never smoked it back then like people snorted it when i was doing it and i did it I okay did so it. you could do like one snort and be high for a whole day yeah if you did a big enough line you would be okay. high for a whole okay, day okay got it yeah no i've yeah. heard coke is much shorter yeah, shorter, coke, shorter life. Coke, you'll start coming down in a right, half that's hour, what I've heard. forty-five yeah. minutes. Yeah. Okay, and uh, it's much more expensive. Yes, and, and so like the meth thing, like yeah, personally for me, I did it with this guy, and so then you understand a couple times. 
I did it maybe like three, three or four times. And then I realized that every time I did it, I am a bit of an insomniac anyway. And so every time I did it, I realized it took me out for like a whole week. And I wasn't going to let at that time I was like uh, working like temp jobs and stuff. And I needed to make some money. You would snort one line. It would put you out for a week. Well, maybe a couple lines. or something. Really? Yeah. Well, put me out. What I mean is, is I would be up. Because you'd be up all night. I'd be up all night. But then you'd be up the next day too. Then the next day. And then I would go to sleep that next day. And then, and th- but then you sleep all day, all day, and then it would be tired. I for got another it. So two you are out for two. a week, yeah. And it, and it's like, and then um, you have to recalibrate. Well, and then what most people, and then you do more meth to, to most get people back will up. do will be like, and so then the other thing that happens with these drugs is like, when you do go to sleep and you wake up, you are low mentally, like you feel it's a crash, you feel depressed, right? And so then everything seems really sad and your life seems bad and you, you know, all the things that go along with depression. And then, so it's like, well, why not do meth again? Um, and then you'll have fun and you know, and you feel, will, I'll feel, I'll feel, I'll feel I'll up. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. I'll have fun. Let's have fun again. Life isn't all supposed to be about depressed. Let's have fun. And that's how people get into it. Uh, and then, uh, they just, and so what, why, what was, what was it about you that enabled you to go, I'm not doing this anymore. Because I was just like, this is stupid. Why would I want to have my whole life be about this? I have things I want to accomplish. Yeah, you were like, I can't be taken out for a week at a time. Well, I was like going to, at that time, I'm not, I was like going to have a career and stuff, right? Like, You're how going to be a lawyer. Why, why would I, why would I just. <laughs> you I went need, to UCLA Law School I, for a bit's sake. I need to do things in this life, right? So, well, this was before law school. Oh, in okay. between, In between college and law school but anyway the point is, is well you had been to williams you had graduated from williams the point is and is you knew you had a future i had i had things i needed to do and i couldn't be staying up all night but for me that was me um not everyone thinks that way and i have a fair bit of self-control i guess with respect to that but the meth is still big in the gay community. But the thing is, is now it's really looked down on as a, as a general rule. So people hide it. And now what they do is they hide it and they'll be online and look for other people. And there's like code words and be like what, what the code word means like, like is that you um, PNP party and play. And that means, you know, you go over to somebody's house who, and then you smoke meth and have sex. And it's like something that, people don't approve of as, as a wider in the wider sense, you kind of have to hide it, but it's still huge in the gay community and it's huge in Portland and people in high school are doing it now here in Portland and you're just not hearing. How do you know that? Because my, uh, boxing teacher has told me that. Wow. Yeah. How does that person know that? Because he's a Lentz local and, um, Oh, I heard about this guy. Yeah. Okay. He's like the he number run, he's one boxer. He's got a boxing gym or something. Well, he's the a, number one boxer in Oregon. Um, okay. They, yeah. The 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 re, the residents that have come on the show have talked about how he does uh, he does a lot of work uh, service for the neighborhood because he, um, you know, he he works with youth and he works with. I mean, it's it's athletic. It's positive. Yeah, I'm not, you know, so I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but yeah, this is the this it's a boxing gym in Lentz, mm-hmm. and um. And the guy that, and so he was just telling me, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's kids in high school are doing it. 
And that's why I'm saying the drug culture is pervasive. Like, I'm not sure where we were going with this topic, but... uh, Well, we we were, like, kind of getting to your breaking point, and you were saying, like, the culture, you were just done with the culture of Portland, and you were realizing that you were becoming... I mean, it almost sounds like... Yeah, it almost sounds like you were were becoming part of the culture, and you recognized it. Neurotic, angry, introverted. Organic food. Yeah, but hyper, like like what to No plastic in the bedding. No plastic. I didn't want plastic touching my food or touching me, which still, I think, you know, has some truth to it. But being that extreme, control... It's like control. You want you want control. Like you need to control everything, and like and 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 you fall apart if something happens that you didn't predict, um, or that you didn't account for. And what I see in Portland is these people. It's the same thing with COVID. It's like they're freaking out about the mask, and it's like you know you your mask thing. You're trying to control the germs and stuff. You can't control that, and like. You you are gonna die sometime, and you might as well face up to that. But you know these people are of course atheists. They're I believe deeply scared of death, like um, and they're 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 just really scared, and they, of everything of everything, and they want control. So they it's control will help them from being scared. They smoke pot. It makes you more paranoid, um, more introverted. You get wrapped up in like um, these rabbit holes of 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 uh, neuroses, including of politics, and you fixate on it, and you stop being able to accommodate different points of view or different people doing something that you don't like. Have a meltdown because somebody isn't wearing a mask, or you know, a meltdown because of this or that, and and you become so rigid and um, you know neurotic and deeply unhappy and I think that that is just and you see like Portland I mean oh my god I can't even stand being here sometimes like I'm living you know now in Clackmas when I'm while I'm here now but uh so you're just this is a brief like brief. this is like a stopover I'm planning to get out of, I have to clear out my mom's house and rent it out so hopefully right. that only takes a couple months um because I don't want to be here. I even started getting depressed. I've only been here a month. Like um, a month is a lot, though. Here, <laughs> it's like a prison to me. But especially when you don't have. I mean, the 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 only es- the, the escapes that I have are you know just like my life here, your right? Family, so like right, work, my family, yeah. my social circle yeah. of friends, my my extracurricular activities. My I mean, I'm really in. I I'm I have. Uh, friends that I share, share different interests in it with like civics and the symphony and working out and yeah. um, exercise and longevity and like things like, like just goofy little things like that. And you have that and you have a family and I didn't have any of that. I was like not even maintaining my friend group and I was like pushing people away and getting mad at them for like stupid crap and like not wanting to talk to them or and and just I was just right like those people you see on Facebook where it's like (laughs) if you voted for Donald Trump unfriend me now yeah and you see like here like like I don't know how much time you 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 probably drive everywhere because you got kids and Mm -hmm. stuff but that's um, right but if you walk a lot like I do you just see 
I walk with my friends. We walk to, and then you're with your friends. We walk to bars, of course, because that's what you do here. You walk places and drink. Yeah, yeah, you go get fucked up. Um, Yeah, right, right, uh, right. And then like, uh, and then yeah, you need somebody else to go pick up your kid. I don't know if you notice because you're with other people, but how many people in this city are alone, living alone with their dog, walking their dog? I have noticed that, like, just alone. I have noticed that, and then they they like stalk you to come and meet you with your dog because it's like the only human contact they get and i i started to pick up there is a weird dog culture lonely lonely middle-aged people who will like will like zone in zoom you know like 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 lock on to you and try to come over and my dog fights with every other dog so like that always is a situation that irritates me because i'm like i don't want you to come talk to me because my dog is gonna freak out and so like it makes me notice it even more just how many of these lonely middle-aged people uh for me it's a lot of women Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, well, because you know they're they're all wearing a fleece because they're like a you know they they want to come talk to like a guy or whatever who has a cute dog or whatever and and so like I just noticed them following me and like and like and like I don't want to talk to you like and, and yeah but it, if you notice like, what else they do they use your dog <laughs> as a proxy for you yeah once they learn your dog's name they'll follow you and they'll like let's say your dog's name is Skippy or something and they'll go oh my gosh Skippy you are just the cutest I just have to talk yeah. to you one more time Skippy they yes. talk to the dog they actually don't even talk they don't to even you. talk to you and 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 there are so many of these people in Portland just just. It's like if somebody studied it, we've got to have a, a higher rate of like unmarried people than other places. Like, 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 it's just if there's a, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I mean, it's hard to have a family here, and it's hard to raise a family here in Portland, and it's not friendly to families. It's friendly to people on a bike alone. Yeah, or what you know. And then the thing is, is like I don't know about you, but like. I would be really think twice if I had kids about putting them in Portland public schools. I'm like, I don't know what well, kind of crazy aren't. social justice crap they're going to teach the kids. Like, I have no idea. What are they going to teach them about gender? Oh, what you have they... an idea because it makes national news all the like, time. I'm like, it I'm... made Bill, the Bill Maher show. It routinely makes like, the Bill Maher but show. But I don't know how much of that is an exaggeration or not. It's not. I, it's real. Because I'm like, you know, I want my He kid... was literally reading from the curriculum. I, want, I know. It's scary. I, I want it's not an exaggeration. I want my kid to go to school and learn math and how to read. And I don't want some opinionated like poorly educated social justice warrior saying all kinds of bull crap to my kid that when I'm not there and that's the focus we're yeah. gonna walk out of school yeah in the name of climate change climate we're change. all gonna leave school Look, to show everyone how important climate change I mean, is climate change is, is actually children these but, are people under the age and, of 18 and the thing is it's like frightening okay so like i grew up in a really unstable home environment where where and it's created yeah, so much sh- anxiety you and i share that so much anxiety and and it's like and it's like i don't want people making kids 
feel unsafe. They can learn about how crappy the world is like after they've developed. Like I do not want some teacher like scaring the bejesus out of my kid about something they have no control over. Like climate change. I mean it's it's happening and certainly I don't have any ability to change that. Like and so why frighten like a 8-year-old half to death about it? It's not productive. Because all that's going to do, it's not going to make like some climate warrior who's going to change things later. It's going to create a really neurotic person. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they think they're creating the next Greta Thunberg. Right, and that if everybody becomes Greta Thunberg, then climate change will stop. But what's really going to happen is they're going to create highly anxious people. And they are. Yeah. And they are. And that's not a good educational system. You want to have security when the child is developing. Everybody set knows that. Yet places like Portland Public Schools, it's like, and, and so I don't see how you would raise kids in this town. Plus all the drugs. I know. Like, like the, yeah. the craziest part was when my three-year-old asked, because, you know, they have to get all these vaccinations and they, they're, they're terrified of going to the doctor. Because every time they go to the doctor, they get stuck with a needle. <laughs> and the three-year-old said, we were living downtown uh, we were in between houses and we were living downtown when it was I'm trying to think. So it was pre, it was pre Hales, but it was deteriorating fast. It was deteriorating fast. And we were living downtown and the three-year-old asked, why is that man giving himself a shot? Like, it was so weird to her because she was like, I, I don't, I would never allow, I don't want to allow the doctor to give me a shot. Yeah. I only do it because you, everybody holds me down and you tell me I have to do it and you make me and then I get a piece of candy or something afterwards. But why would somebody give themselves a shot? And that was when I just kind of remember saying to my husband, like, I, you know, we should really think about what these kids are saying around here, um, what they're being exposed to. And now, of course, they're older and they've been here for so long, and we've been working downtown for so long and living so close to downtown for so long that they've seen it all. There's nothing they haven't seen. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I They've guess, seen it all. Yeah. Which, I mean, when you've seen everything from erect penises to people taking shits in public to people, I mean, forget urination. This is um, a, a pu- public sex on a mattress. Um, it's It's... Uh, inject injecting yourself in the neck, vomiting, yeah. um, smoking, pills off foil. But what about all the screaming and the fighting that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do? Oh yeah, oh yeah. oh well. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, numerous times. But like one time in particular that comes to mind was when it was just like, hey, let's. We had a day, and I was like hey, let's just pretend like we're tourists and let's just do a bunch of fun, like, Portland things that maybe we've done, but maybe we haven't done. And so we had to, like, unfortunately drive through Old Town to get somewhere. And as we're driving through Old Town and we're turning right onto Burnside to get onto East Burnside, a a bum fight literally rolls into our car physically. Yeah. And into it right on into the, of course, the back passenger seats where my children are sitting. So it's, it's like rolling into that part of the car like not even like the driver's side or the part where I could handle it I mean not handle it but just like more easily process it and they just started screaming like these people are going to get it they're what if what if they get into our car what if they have a gun what if they and I I I mean I couldn't say anything to reassure them because I was like well they probably do have guns 
they could get into our car. I mean, a woman at the end of our street was carjacked. So I, it's like by two 13-year-olds with guns. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. What? There's nothing, there's nothing they haven't seen. But, you know, one thing that I do tell them is the good news is you can go to any city in the world virtually. I mean, there are certain, certainly cities that are more violent than Portland and probably scarier. But you could go to any city in the world and you can probably navigate it um, with, with not a lot of anxiety and no problems because you know how to be vigilant. As you said, Dawn, uh, now you, you said I'm, I'm a pretty vigilant person and you know how to look around and you know how to uh, be aware of your surroundings and how to cross the street when you see some, somebody, no matter how normal or abnormal usually looking they are coming towards you and um, nothing will surprise you. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, your kids are in Catholic I'm not saying that's a good thing. But, but your kids are in Catholic school because I think the thing that I would be really worried about... Is well, they're in Catholic school because the public school was closed for 18 months. Otherwise, well, they actually wouldn't have would, been there. But thank God have, they are. I mean, you. the thing is, is like it's like the, the culture of... The, the culture here is so... Wah, wah, poor me. Like, like it's just... It's just... It's really toxic. Yeah. We, we talk about it all the time. And the only reason we're here is because they're severe. Our kids are severely dyslexic. They're the peop, the adults in their life, they're the, the specialists who have taught them to read and just do basic functional academics are live near us. Yeah. And it took, it was like moving heaven and earth to find these people. And now it's working and they're catching up with their peers finally one is beyond caught up but still the other one is is still working on catching up and then and of course we have this business we've got this law firm and we've got yeah, what i don't right. know like um I, I mean for pete's sake almost like 50 years between the two of us of of being try of uh, creating this client base and and creating a fairly nice standard of living which for what exactly right i mean for and and just mostly siphoning it all off to the city and county for for it to, to not just no return a negative return uh, yeah i mean i mean i don't know who these woke people think are going to fund all their little pet projects and their ballot measures and their bonds and their you know ted wheeler what did he say 40 million dollars is what he wants to now in addition to the homeless bond we already have, I, I don't know who they think is going to fund all this because the people that are that are paying these quote unquote rich taxes, they're leaving. Yeah, they are. I, I don't. I just don't think. And if you demonize them and you call them assholes and you call them colonists and you call them racists and you call them white supremacists, you think they're going to keep keep paying for these grants that are going to your nonprofit? Uh, I don't think they're thinking that far ahead. Well, for sure they're not. But I, <laughs> I, I just think it's, they're literally biting the hand that is feeding them. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to go here because unlike Seattle, LA, and. Um, we don't have the money. Seattle, we just don't, we don't have, have the industry. No, we don't. Yeah. And nobody here really wants it. No, they don't want it. They think it's cool. <laughs> Um, Nancy Rommelman calls it hermetic, and I think that she's right. And they like it that way. They do, they don't want to be an international city. They want they want to be, they 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 don't want business. They don't want it. No, I, they don't. I mean, I'm not sure what they know that they do want, because I don't think they think thought that far. I 
I'm not sure what. I they think want. they want it to be a safe. They want it. They want. They want it to be a safe place to flop out in the gutter and and do what you want. It's like libertarianism run amok. It it is, and I was thinking that on the drive over that what it's what, so progressive. It's it's libertarian. Summarize it is that it's a it's a toxic mix of libertarianism, um, anarchy. Yeah, it's the libertarianism is a is problematic because they there are certain people who just can't handle libertarianism like they, yeah like they, schizophrenics yeah or even just heavy drug users yes or, yeah. dr- or addicts yeah and and that there's something or criminals yeah you just can't just let everybody do whatever they want it doesn't it breaks down uh but they have the aclu on their side it's really oh it's, my God. it's so weird what what what, is what happened to deal? the aclu yeah, what is the deal with that and what do you th- you know like the um oregon justice resource center yes. what do you think of them I mean, I, I can't even really talk about it. I, I, it's it's an institution that I supported for. It's it's a lot like the ACLU. It's an insti- these are institutions that I that I supported in every way for a very long time. And I I don't I we don't speak the same language anymore. I yeah because I don't I I I really had a problem with them being so supportive of Antifa because I was like, I don't understand why you guys are taking these people as clients. Like, and then I had a, um, I had a, uh, high school friend who, um, I think they think that, and these Antifa clients were, have been the subjects of police brutality. Yes, they definitely think that. So that's, that's, so they're wearing the white hat, right? Yeah, and that that's, goes along with the... They're doing the right thing. The narcissism, right? It's like, it's the it's this idea... It's black and white. I'm you, on the good yeah, side. I'm, and if you look at the Twitter of, of, of those people involved with the Oregon Justice Resource Center, it's like so much narcissism. I mean, there's so... It's, it's, it's so much. I've screenshotted it, but I couldn't find it. But some of the stuff they say, like, like, like it's just like, it's like... It'll be stuff like... And, you know, and... and it, it just it's so narcissistic i can't even like like they're like they're like and when you fight the battle alone and like we've been fighting it and like you know and it, and it, and it's just so like detached from reality and that uh, it's yeah it's <laughs> it's it's completely black and white thinking yeah, good and bad. There's good and bad. People. I'm good. I'm good. Cops are bad. Cops are bad. Also, Republicans are bad, or anybody who's a moderate is bad. Yeah, well, they're yeah. calling Renee a Republican because yeah. he does. He's not buying into this fringe left agenda. Yeah, and so he's a Republican, and so therefore he's bad. Yeah, business owners are bad. bad. Landlords are. Bad. It's, it fits right in with the culture. And, you know, black and white thinking is a really common symptom of mental illness. Personality disorders. It's one of the one of the most common, you know, I know because... Well, my, you have experience I have with experience that. with yeah. personal personality disorder in my family. Yeah, and, in, immediate family, and, yeah. And, and when you... There's a lot of trauma from that. Yes, a lot. And it, it it's frustrating, to, the trauma, the effects of it, which I can't... Um, well, and things. then, of course, yeah. you're in this now, you're visiting the city, you're back visiting the city, 
And probably everywhere you look reminds you of that trauma that you grew up with because they're all operating underneath the same kind of garbage. Yeah, I see so much, especially like that black and white thinking, the the, the narcissism parts of it, the totally self-referential, like the victimhood culture, the, 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 the kind of like thing that it's like you're always the victim. Like, and you never have to look to yourself for the roots of your unhappiness. Like, it's always displaced onto other people. And, and, the, and you know what's interesting is we were talking about this libertarianism run amok. It's only libertarianism for impecunious or BIPOC people. But for white, if you're, if you're white, actually, that's not true. It's only libertarian if you're impecunious actually, yeah. or on the side yeah. of the impecunious. Yeah. It's not, it's not BIPOC because I, I'm, because Renee, for Christ's sake, they've brainwashed me. Renee is Latino. They but keep calling count. him a white supremacist. He doesn't count. I know, but they see, they brainwashed me. He didn't even freaking occur to me. Mingus. He um, doesn't count either. Does it doesn't count because he has a, he's a functional adult with a PhD from Cornell. So he doesn't, he doesn't count either. Um, if you're not homeless addicted to drugs mm. um, or, or completely so mentally ill that you're completely unable to function or on the side of those people. And by that, I mean, you make your living off of them. Yeah. You're either their lawyer, you're a nonprofit that quote yeah. unquote serves them or makes money from the city because you say you serve them. Right. If you're not, if, if, if you're those people, you should be allowed to do what you want yeah. and, and you're entitled to that if you're employed if you're gainfully employed in a system outside of that in any way whatsoever it, and you're paying these quote-unquote rich taxes and you're run, tr- making some attempt at running a business and you're raising a family and you're making an attempt to brush your hair in the morning and put on a clean pair of underpants, you you are under the government's thumb like nobody's business. You will be ticketed. If yeah. if you if you park wrong, they'll 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 be they'll be surrounding you in two seconds. Um, if if you and you got a lot of taxes to pay. And and what I and and you know exhibit one is Renee. Renee Gonzalez. This city has completely ignored lawlessness for years but he engages in what in what Joanne Hardesty and the, somebody in the city deems some kind of infraction by getting re- market turns out totally market rate rent from Jordan Schnitzer right here right across the street from this shithole building that we're sitting in right now the other <laughs> shithole building that's across the street that is vandalized on almost a daily basis Renee's And these are old w- buildings right yeah. that's not Oh yeah class look at a this place space. look yeah, around this is not. not beautiful it's disgusting this is not beautiful space this is class C space yeah, um, it's not class it's a. routinely yeah. vandalized yeah. I mean Goldmark Jewelers which was in the bottom has gone out of business they were around since the 70s because they can't get riot and vandalism insurance they couldn't operate anymore. There is a, a black woman who owns a makeup company uh, downstairs, and she's been vandalized. Well, you have to. I mean, the thing is, is if you've got a business, you need to have a window. 
So right, it, yeah. <laughs> God forbid um, you try to operate a retail establishment in the city of Portland because because not only do you have to have a window and and you have to be on the ground floor and therefore subject to vandalism and violence at any time, you also have to have a customer base that is willing to step over bodies to get to you and and navigate through open air drug markets to get to and 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 just outright criminality to get to you. Do you think it's is it libertarian that my my like house in Lentz, which is eight hundred square feet, I have a tree that is right, supposedly about, to, about yep. to fall on my And the city house. doesn't want you to cut it down. So I have to um, yep. I have to pay a hundred dollars to apply mm-hmm. to for a permit for a permit yep. to remove the tree, and it's it's going to take about eight months to get that and then, permit, and then. And it's going to cost you $30,000 to remove the tree. And the thing is, is it's too close to the house, so I wouldn't want to put another tree there. But I have to then, uh, if if I don't want to replant a tree, which I have to pay for. I know. Then I have to pay another $100 to get a replanting waiver. You're, uh, exactly. um, Exactly. For a tree that I can't replant because it's too close to the house. And the whole reason I'm taking it out is because two tree experts have said that it's about it's about to fall on my neighbor's house, and I'm already paying five thousand dollars to take it out. But I need to pay more money to the city to get a permit to take it because it's an because it's about to fall on the house. No, no, like, that's not why. It's because you're a functional adult. Yeah, and, 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 and it's if not you just were one homeless, permit. I need two permits. <laughs> I have to pay the second permit because I can't replant. I don't want to replant it because it's too close to the house. So I have to pay another hundred dollars to so that I don't have to replant a tree there. Like it, it's just like, and then you can. It, to me, that's like, wait a minute. It's bureaucracy. It, it, it is big government run amok if you're a functional adult. Yeah. It's libertarianism run amok if you're homeless, drug addicted, or if your income relies on getting money from the city to ostensibly, quote unquote, serve well, the those homeless. Well, those are, those the, are the good people because they're helping. Right. I mean, that's the, the fundamentally it's it's it, that's what it is. It, it, it's like all these nonprofit people. It's like they chose to help. Whereas. Well, we're colonizers. Everyone, we're capitalist. Everyone colonizers. else chose to just enrich themselves. Right. Because, you know, like obviously somebody who's just like working a regular job somewhere is like bad because what they're not trying to help people there. I mean, even though they're literally funding all of this they're, right. they're they are the reason that people can flop out on the sidewalks here and get their drugs and their tents and their meals and their lasagnas and their socks and their their billion dollar bond projects and their safe rest villages and their their um i mean someone is paying for all this and it's the people that can't I mean, they, the, the city won't let them move a toilet two feet without 16 permits and 1700 yeah, bucks. Bad. It's bad the number of permits you have to, I mean, the, the permit. The, thing, we wonder why we can't build here. I mean, they, they keep heralding Houston. Oh, Houston solved homelessness. We need to build more. We need to build more. He, I'm sorry. Anybody who, again, who has tried to move a toilet a couple feet knows why we can't build here. Yeah, or, or, or get rid of a tree that's about to fall down. So your breaking so your breaking point was you looking inward and saying I'm becoming part of this culture and I don't want to do it anymore I'm moving to India. 
Well, I mean, I like you say, my mom's from India, and I actually like Goa. Uh, well, Goa yeah. is like the the resort yeah. area, yeah. I right? I wouldn't want to live in probably another part of India unless I had like a cool expat job. Um, but yeah, I so I'm like, you know, for me, it's really uh, was pretty easy. I don't have kids. Um, and uh, I was just like, look, I'm super stressed out and getting really crazy and introverted and also just really angry. And uh, or I could just go and that choice was really clear to me. Um, not everyone has that choice or, 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 or wants to leave or has somewhere to go or whatever, but, but I, I mean, that's extreme, you know, cause I have, I have friends, like I said, like, well, like this, uh, the ex Oregonian editor that I met just, um, yesterday that, that escaped Portland, um, uh, David Reinhardt, who went to Pennsylvania. And then I have my friend who went to Florida. And I have my, you know, I have all these very, you know, I have friends, that you, they've gone all over the country. They've all left. Um, and, of course, you went to, you know, you go to India, which is like, like you said, you're comfortable there. You 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 are in Indian, and your mom is from there. Um, and you know it. But I just think, I, I think it, it's a great illustration of what port what Portland can drive functional people to, to, to do, to try to maintain their mental, I mean, you're saying your mental health, like your mental health was in danger. I think that this place, I honestly, I know, I know, I mean, maybe I'm getting too extreme about it, but I'm not the only person that I've had this conversation with you. Like, like I've had it with, uh, a few other people, not, you know, not a lot, but a few other people. I think that this place creates mental health problems. I do too. I mean, yeah. it's certainly done a number on mine. Yeah. You know, I do too. And, and I have other things to focus on. I mean, I yeah. have things to escape into, you know, Well, you get something out of your work. I really, I do. I, 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 I drive a lot much. of meaning out I of my work. I got a lot of stress out of it. And, and, and I, and, and so it's, it's just was didn't have the rewards that you get out of it and you have your family and 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 like you have a lot of you have a, uh, friends and, and stuff like in and why yeah. didn't you have this conversation with that many other people well because a lot of people don't get it you know you talk to them and you're like you know or me I'll talk to them and be like I just think Portland is just and then they'll be like oh you're just a you know you you're just a, uh, you yourself have a problem and it's not Portland and you, you're just a Portland hater and you are conservative or you, you know, you just, you it's, you know, that's, I would say the prevailing attitude though. There are a fair number of people who will, who will, who do see that, but it's not a majority. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Don, this has been, really fun and a little bit depressing but you know we are talking about Portland but thank you for being here and advocating for Lentz coming on the show and talking about your time in Lentz and thank you for writing the letter that you did about the safe Dan Ryan safe rest villages and why they shouldn't be located in Lentz thank you for all your advocacy for that neighborhood and for the city generally and let's keep in touch when you come back please come back on the show and let us know what's 
going on in Goa. Thanks, Don.